Good evening, everyone. Good evening. I'm uh, the disembodied voice of the mayor. I will now call the August 19, 2019 meeting of the Astoria City Council to order. And uh, by prearrangement, since I cannot see who's approaching the podium, rather than having awkward pauses, I have asked Council President Brownson to uh, lead us through the agenda tonight. So, Councilor Brownson, you have the gap. Thank you. All right, um, welcome everybody to uh, this evening's council meeting. Um, we'd like to start off with, we need a roll call. Chief Spalding. Good evening there, Mr. Mayor, members of the uh, community. Um, so as was uh, stated here, my name is Mark Torney, and I'm a partnership specialist with the uh, U.S. Census Bureau. And uh, we have been working to reach out to all of our uh, elected officials at the, the state, county, city level, and then working to partner with um, community benefit organizations and nonprofits as well to uh, help uh, educate, engage, and uh, encourage folks around the 2020 census, um, particularly with a focus on hard-to-count populations, which I'll, I'll talk about in a, in a moment here in the presentation. Oh, it's working, okay. Um, so, Oregon Partnership Specialists, I mentioned that very briefly there. And um, with our, uh, the decennial census here, our goal, uh, Seemingly simple, but uh, much more challenging than it looks, is count everyone once, only once, and uh, in the right place. Um, the reason we do this, uh, there's a number of reasons. It's uh, in the Constitution, pretty important. Um, and it's how we apportion the U.S. House of Representatives uh, across the United States, all uh, 435 of them. Um, something that a lot of folks, I think, don't quite know, though, is that the, um, the importance that uh, census data has in terms of uh, funding uh, a number of uh, federal programs in our community. And actually, um, counselors there in your uh, folder that I passed out, there's a good handout there with some, some breakdown of that, and I'll, I'll go into it a little bit here. But I think it's um, an important thing to let people know about. Um, in fiscal year 2015, for example, um, over $675 billion uh, of, of federal money was distributed to the 50 states with the help of uh, decennial uh, census data. And um, here in Oregon in uh, fiscal year 2016, that was about $3.5 billion. And that funds everything from uh, Head Start programming and the National School Lunch Program to uh, highway planning and construction uh, programs and activities to um, rural, um, uh, wastewater disposal and uh, water systems. 
So there are really quite a lot of uh, ways that this uh, data and information helps uh, support our communities through these uh, very important programs. Um, in Oregon, it, it comes out to about uh, $3,200 per Oregonian, Oregonian counted per fiscal year every 10 years. So in terms of, of that, there's quite a lot uh, at stake for uh, members of our community who really rely on, on these programs. Um, our challenge with this here, and counting everybody once, only once, and in the right place, is that um, by the time September 2020 rolls around and we, and we have completed all of our operations throughout the U.S., we've counted about 330 million people and about 140 million housing units. And here in Oregon, um, that looks like about 4.2 million people and uh, 1.8 million housing units, just to give you an idea of what uh, the challenge is ahead of us. Um, Self-response for the decennial census will begin on March 12, 2020, and April 1st is the official census day. Um, to meet this challenge that I was discussing in the previous slide, um, we're making it easier to respond <coughs> using technology. So you may have heard for the first time the uh, decennial census will be available online, and folks will be able to get online to complete it if they choose to. Um, the way that's going to work is every housing uh, unit in the U.S. will have its own sort of unique census ID, and uh, you can go on the website, plug in that ID, fill out your form, it usually takes about 10 minutes, and uh, then you're set. Having said that, um, we are encouraging folks to, um, the way we're putting it is kind of fill out their form wherever they are and whenever they can. So say somebody's at a community event and we have a booth up and they're like, oh yeah, I gotta fill out my census form, I can do it on my smartphone, but I don't have that unique census ID. Um, actually just using your address, if you would just to put that in, we can then match it up uh, after the fact. So we're really, like I said, trying to make it um, as accessible as possible in terms of, of uh, setting it up for folks to complete the form there, not just using the paper form, but for the, um, the internet response, for example. Um, folks will, though, if they prefer, have the opportunity or have the option to choose the, the paper form or the, the um, uh, do it over the phone if they like. Uh, and most housing units will receive up to uh, five mailers in the mail, inviting them to respond via the website and then letting them know about the phone number and assistance and how they can do it that way. And then um, eventually, if we don't hear from them, they'll receive the paper form um, that most folks are kind of familiar with. And then we're still at that point, we don't hear from folks. We will uh, be following up in person with the kind of census takers, the enumerators that, that folks are kind of familiar with um, in mid-May. In mid but that's kind of the last step. We, we hope everybody self-responds. That, that would be lovely. <laughs> uh, a, a brief preview of the census form uh, are these 10 questions. Um, they won't spend too much time on this, but you'll see that, um, and you may have heard that there's no citizenship question on the cens decennial census this year. Um, so you um, need not expect to see that next year. Um, in terms of accessibility for folks, the internet form will be available in 13 languages. Um, help over the phone will also be available in 13 languages, as well as compatible with telecommunication devices for the deaf. The paper form will be in English and Spanish. Um, our, our mailed items, as well as the enumerators we'll have, we have in the field, will um, be fluent in both English and Spanish as necessary based on um, communities we're working in. And those enumerators who are following up with folks will have language cards and guides in 59 languages plus ASL, Braille, 
in large print. Um, a note on privacy and confidentiality. The Census Bureau only releases aggregate data, as you may know. Um, so it's uh, strictly prohibited from releasing any personally identifiable information. Um, that info and data um, on a, that sort of personal level cannot be handed over to another bureau or department or agency. It can't be given to law enforcement. It can't be turned over to ICE. Uh, all that is strictly prohibited by Title 13 of the United States Code. Um, on top of that, census employees take a, um, a lifetime oath to protect that data, and the penalty for wrongful disclosure is up to five years imprisonment and or a $250,000 fine. So it's something that the um, Bureau takes very seriously and wants folks to feel comfortable in, in filling out their form and uh, providing this important information. I'm gonna touch on a couple of hard to count populations. Um, we have uh, a number of them and their sort of relationship here to the city. Um, I'll start with a little bit of broader population data that I mentioned in Oregon. Our estimates show 4.2 million people uh, class of uh, the county, uh, 39,764, and here in Astoria, uh, 9976. This is information based on the um, American Community Survey. Um, and you can see just about 50, over 5,200 uh, housing units here in, um, in the city. Again, based on um, estimates from the uh, American Community Survey. Um, for a few reasons here, seniors are a little challenging for us to count. Um, sometimes there's physical isolation, mental health issues, access or ability um, to use the internet, you know, familiarity with it as well. Um, sometimes we're feeling that maybe they won't, they won't matter to the 2020 census, which is of course not the case because everybody is important for us to count. Um, and here in the, in the city, it's about 26% uh, of the population. And um, I'm sort of touching on these and bringing up some of the percentages too, because we know these are, um, these are uh, populations and, and communities that will um, need to, to hopefully work with you all in terms of identifying the best way to, to reach them and work with them and other organizations that we can partner with to do um, uh, the kind of outreach that needs to be done to get a good and accurate count. Um, children under five are another challenging area for us. Um, sometimes with split custody, parents don't know who, what form to include them on. Um, or if we have a family where there are um, unrelated household members living together, and of course if parents don't respond, then we, we miss their children uh, as well. Um, renters too, because they're uh, a little more transient in terms of moving frequently. Uh, sometimes that means less community involvement and um, Sometimes they're concerned about having folks living with them who aren't on the lease, and they're afraid that by including them on the census form that um, that, that information will be turned over and there could be some, some issue with their landlord or homeowner. But as I said, um, that would not be something that uh, folks need to worry about. Um, Foreign-born residents as well uh, here in the city because of language barriers, fear of government, unaware of the constitutional requirement. Um, it's another area that we're looking to, to make connections with in the city. And just in general, folks with internet concerns, like I said, since this is the first time that the, the decennial census will be uh, have an online option, we need to make sure that folks are um, familiar with how to access the website and feel um, secure with the systems and um, have access to you know, the internet in a way to fill out the form and then can trust us with the information. So I wanted to mention too that 
uh, post office boxes, many, uh, many, many places in Oregon uh, use post office boxes because they don't have direct mail delivery. Um, unfortunately, the Census Bureau only delivers materials to physical addresses, so we are working um, with our partners in, you know, around the state and then at the national level, too, with the post office to get materials into post, office, post offices um, that will direct folks to, to fill out the form either online or call um, on the phone. I wanted to mention we have a, a, a tool online, census.gov slash Rome, and it shows each census tract in the United States and gives a uh, predicted low response uh, score. So we've got three census tracts there that make up Astoria and the uh, two to the west there have a, a sort of a lower uh, response score. Uh, the one to the right is a little higher, that's why it's in a dark green. But it's a good planning tool for us, for folks in the community that are doing outreach, uh, trying to find um, you know, what, what tracks might be um, challenging to, to enumerate and get a, a good score from. It's a, it's a really cool, uh, good tool, open to anybody that would like to, to review it. There's quite a lot of information there. Uh, before I, I wrap up and, and see if you all have any questions, I just wanted to say that we are uh, hiring for enumerators. We have a number of operations out in the field um, that, um, that will be going on between now and uh, Census Day next year. Um, I spoke about the, the, everybody thinks of census enumerators who follow up with folks afterwards, but we have a number of operations before that too. Right now, actually, this week, we started our first infield operation, so that should be good for you all to know that we'll have um, some enumerators out in the field right now um, who are just updating address lists. So we have good lists for sending our mailers and for contacting people. They're not collecting any personally identifiable, identifiable information, but uh, they will be knocking at doors to let folks know they're working in, the, in your community and um, we'll just be updating their address lists. Um, I'm gonna actually skip over this next slide and come back to that, but um, I wanted to, to see if anybody had uh, any questions. And that's okay if not too. <laughs> um, the only other thing I'll say is that we've, uh, we're working to form these complete count committees, which are essentially census ambassador groups, and there's a little pamphlet in the folder there. Um, that are made up of local government and uh, members of you know, um, the faith community, the education community, local businesses that uh, work together to, to perform uh, outreach in the community, particularly how they can leverage their networks and connections. So um, if there's any interest in that, I can, I can follow up with you all. But I think the bottom line is, um, you know, as we move forward and we start pushing out our messaging, whether it's you know, different things that you can drop into maybe a utility bill or get on a, some sort of city newsletter or if there's a reader board in town or something, any way to help us kind of get the message out there that the census is coming out there and this is what you can um, expect and look for that would, that would be excellent. So I, I have one uh, just comment and question for Mr. Estes, and that is I'm trying to think through the potential implications of the census results other than funding for Astoria. And the first thing that jumps to mind is there's a, a few pieces of legislation that affect cities with populations over 10,000. Most recently, Governor Brown signed that bill, which essentially outlaws single-family zoning and requires uh, cities with populations over 10,000 to allow duplexes and previously single-family zoned uh, neighborhoods. So depending on if, if the census shows
just look at how the population finally just squeaking over the line of 10,000, that could be an impact. Is there anything else you can think of? Um, Mayor, you're, you're correct. And in addition to the legislation, which you noted that the, the state legislature passed this last session, there are other requirements um, that kick in, particularly in the public works realm, uh, when uh, a population of a city increases above 10,000. Um, that includes issues dealing with, I believe, some water quality issues and, and, and some issues dealing with roadways, uh, where the city would become responsible for some additional um, requirements and additional infrastructure should we exceed that population size. So yet again, it's more pressure on uh, revenue streams, potentially. That's correct. It turns out. Thank you. That's correct. Well, according to the numbers that he showed up there, we're only 24 folks away. <laughs> so um, on the I line. encourage a few to uh, move <laughs> and help the city. <laughs> thank you, Mayor, and thank you, members of city council. I appreciate your time. Okay, thank you. All right, um, next on the agenda is reports of counselors. Um, I'll just quickly start out here. Well, let's start over there with Roger. We'll just work our way around. All right, just a couple of things this week. Uh, I talked with uh, Police Chief Jeff Spalding about a citizen concern, and I want to express my appreciation to the Chief, who uh, took the time to address that concern personally and completely uh, with the residents. I attended the regatta commemoration at the Maritime Memorial along with Chief Spalding and Fire Chief Dan Crutchfield and Library Director Jimmy Curson toured the Astoria warehousing property with uh, Martin View, and uh, walked along the Riverwalk in downtown with David Reed and the Chamber sort of being present group, and got a chance to converse at some length with Mike, a disabled homeless person, about the challenges that he's facing. I learned there are a lot of catch-22s that pop up as he tried to navigate the system and get help. I much appreciate the Nell Moffat and Rick Bowers uh, for their time and care and establishing relationships that make conversations like that possible and productive. Okay, thank you. Uh, Councilor West. Well, I uh, hadn't planned on mentioning this, but I also want to commend uh, Chief Spaulding, who called me back on a Sunday afternoon, <coughs> uh, which I always feel like should be everybody's day off to help me um, assist a woman who had reached out to me kind of randomly but who was looking for temporary housing because she was in a very dangerous uh, situation. So thank you. Um, I guess to go back, August 8th, I attended, we had a work session and we got to preview the city's new and upcoming website, which looks fantastic. Uh, I'll say it's a lot more user-friendly and so for folks like myself that sometimes have trouble finding stuff on the city's website, um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be really amazing. So thanks to everybody who's been working on that. Also, uh, Suzanne Bonamici paid us a visit to um, talk about the Rivada, the anniversary, 125 year anniversary, which was really exciting and, and great of her to be here for that. Uh, I didn't get to participate in the regatta as much this year as I usually do. Uh, August 10th, which was a Saturday, 
um, I chose to attend the, um, it was the first annual Chinook Tansy Point Treaty Celebration over in Warrington. So the Chinook tribe has just reacquired about 10 acres of land, which was theirs 168 years ago. And it was a really uh, incredible celebration. Um, there were representatives of the five different tribes there, and that uh, was the perfect way to spend my birthday that day. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is that I also got to tour the Asteroid Warehousing Building with Martin, which was incredible. I rode past it on my bike for 15 years when I lived in Union Town and had no idea it was such an amazing set of buildings. So, thank you. Thank you. Councilor Herman. Sure. I attended the regatta coronation two Wednesdays ago. But my favorite part of the regatta was being able to ride in Fire Chief Dan Crutchfield's bright red command vehicle in the parade. So I really appreciate that, Chief. And I hope we get to do that at least three more times, God willing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I also was able to tour the Astoria Warehousing site. Hadn't been in there in a number of years, so thank you, Martin. And the last thing I'll say is that I have another Meet the Counselor event. You don't have to live in my ward or even in the city limits, as long as you care about Astoria. It's going to be a week from this coming Wednesday, from 4.30 to 6 in the, in the flag room at the library. So I'd love to see you there. Thank you, Councilor. Um, and just br briefly on my part, I don't want to take up much time. We've got a lot to do this evening, uh, but I did get a tour of the warehouse. Thank you, uh, Margu. And um, the regatta was great fun for me. I was on the water the whole time, so I didn't get to participate in land parades. And uh, we did have a, an informative work session, as mentioned. Uh, and it was a pleasure to receive uh, the congressional record being read in about the regatta from our representative Bonamici. And I would also like to introduce our new planner. Um, we went to work here on August 12th, I believe. Yes. And uh, Barbara Fryer. Ron Maxted was identified as 
nothing. I will uh, make a motion to approve items A through D to the consent calendar. Do I have a second with the one amendment? I'll second it. We have a second. Um, we need a roll call. Sure. So uh, let's see. Chief Crossfield. Uh, Councillor Herman. Yay. Councillor Brownson. Yay. Councillor West. Yay. Councillor Roberts. Aye. And Mayor Jones. Aye. Thank you. Okay. Uh, regular agenda items. So, uh, Council President, if you'd like, uh, staff can give an initial staff report on this item, and then uh, you can move on to opening the public hearing, if that sounds fine with you. Well, that sounds Okay, so um, I'm going to ask that uh, our, our planners, Mike Morgan, come forward to the lectern. He's going to be giving the staff report on this item. But one thing that uh, I'd like to be able to note, this is with regards to Appeal 1902, uh, which is an appeal of a, a planning commission decision. One of the items that the council needs to first decide is whether or not you wish to hold this as an on-the-record or de novo hearing. And uh, I would say that um, the city of Astoria's uh, typical uh, procedure is to, uh, is to hold uh, a de novo hearing uh, where um, there could be additional testimony uh, provided um, other than what was uh, provided at the public hearing. Um, this uh, is something which uh, has been uh, something which at least the, the Estrella City Council has done for a number of years. Um, staff is uh, comfortable uh, if uh, you were to uh, have a de novo hearing rather than, than on the record. So do we need a motion? Um, or just get? I think if there would be just a common agreement, Mayor, or, or City Attorney, is that fine to be able to have that? That's fine, or you can have a motion. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Once you announce okay. it, and everybody knows what you're doing. Right. Okay. For, for my part, okay. go ahead, Mayor. Yeah, I, I would agree. We should have a de novo hearing since we have not heard this matter before council before. We should allow new testimony. Yeah, and then additionally, we're receiving testimony by email, so it's appropriate. Yeah, if, if it were, and on the record, you would have to um, just, um, not um, um, take that into consideration. Well, I was leaning for on the record. I I would support de novo, just because I can't undo those the testimony that I've already read, and I imagine there might be people in the audience tonight. Would they be able to testify if they haven't testified at yes. previous? Okay, I guess I I support de novo nonetheless. Well, it looks like I see Council West and I are ahead. Yes, so. Okay, very good. De novo hearing you will be. So, Mr. Morgan. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, um, members of the council. Uh, this is uh, an appeal, uh, AP 1902, by Stewardship Home, Ship Homes, uh, LLC of Planning Commission's decision to deny the conditional use request. CU 1904 for conversion of a five-unit apartment 
to short-term lodging at 641 Commercial. <clears throat> On April 5th uh, of this year, Stewardship Homes submitted a conditional use application to locate a five-room short-term lodging facility in an existing apartment building. The proposal would allow uses for, allow use of the five one-bedroom units as short-term <clears throat> rentals. On May 21st, planning staff issued a staff report <coughs> excuse me, recommending denial. On May 28th, the Planning Commission conducted its first hearing after which they closed the evidentiary record and granted the applicant two weeks to submit final written agreement argument. On June 11th, the applicant submitted final written argument. Uh, on June 25th, the Planning Commission deliberated and voted to deny the application. On uh, July 12th, <coughs> the applicant appealed the decision. Um, so the, uh, the application was deemed complete on May 1st, and so the 120-day uh, review period expires on uh, August, August 28th, which is uh, an important date because we cannot uh, continue beyond 120 days. So the development code requires uh, the following information, uh, these, three, these three items, and uh, the appellant has addressed these criteria in the letter from the from the applicant's attorney dated July 11th. City Council will need to determine if the appeal will be de novo. We've already uh, concluded, decided that. Um, so our recommendation, uh, once the council determines whether to hold a de novo, and sorry, um, it's recommended the City Council conduct a public hearing, consider the appeal, the council may affirm, reverse, or modify the decision of the planning commission. And I should note that there, there are copies of, of uh, recently received uh, emails and comments, uh, I think, before you and also uh, on the table uh, for, the, for the public. Any questions? I see no questions. So, Appeal AP 1902 by Stewardship Homes LLC of Planning Commission decision to deny conditional use request CU 1-04 for conversion of a five-unit apartment to short-term lodging at 641 Commercial Street. Um, I will open public hearing. Does anyone object to the jurisdiction of the City Council to hear the matter at this time? Does any member of the City Council feel he or she has a conflict of interest or any ex parte contacts to declare? Hearing none, I guess I already opened the public testimony, so um, person speaking tonight should address the remarks to whether or not the application in question meets the necessary criteria, and if not, state why. The app applicable criteria are listed in the staff report and may be obtained at the staff table. Failure to raise an issue in person or by letter to the City Council means an appeal at the same issue will not be permitted. If you wish to speak, please come forward to the lectern, give your name and address, and then give your testimony. And um, to start out with, uh, I'm going to invite the appellants uh, to provide uh, testimony. They will have 15 minutes. 
um, after which we will invite other people to vote in favor, uh, neutral and opposed, and follow up at the end of seven minutes uh, for the uh, uh, rebuttal by the appellant. So if the appellant would like to step up. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Good evening, Mayor Jones and City Council. My name is Garrett Stevenson. My address is 1211 Southwest 5th Avenue, Suite 1900, Portland, Oregon, 97204. Here tonight representing Stewardship Homes, who is the applicant, the appellant in this case. Uh, with me tonight is Matt Gillis, who's a project manager on this particular application. And I'm going to start out by quickly going through some of the legal and code arguments that we're bringing forth in this appeal. And then he's going to uh, step up and provide um, what I think will be a far more interesting presentation, which will talk about what the project is intended to accomplish and what we're hoping to do here. Um, so with that, I'd just like to cover uh, a couple of brief procedural issues. The first is that um, if anybody asks for the record to be held open for any reason at the conclusion of the hearing, we'd ask to have our normal seven-day written final argument um, after that. And the other thing I would ask is that because the applicant is the appellant and has the burden of proof and because we're challenging um, a denial by the city council, we would ask that we would have an opportunity um, to address any testimony by staff or the city attorney um, related to whether or not uh, the application should be uh, approved. Um, with that, I'm going to jump into our legal arguments here, and I've done the, my level best to summarize those in the letter and provide as much detail there as I can. Um, what I'm going to be doing, though, and this is kind of a, I suppose, a trigger warning, um, is I'm going to be talking about why I think and why we think that the Planning Commission and staff got this wrong the first time around. And when I'm doing that, I want to be clear that we do appreciate the hard work that staff has done here. This is a disagreement um, about the meaning of legal language and is not meant to impugn the good folks on the Planning Commission or the hard work of staff. We just have a fair disagreement about uh, how the code should be applied in this case. So with that, I'll jump into it. Um, if you read the staff report, which was adopted by the Planning Commission as their findings, you'll see in there two bases for a recommendation for denial. The first is um, the lack of parking that our project has. Uh, we have, um, according to staff, a need for five spaces. Um, we have two off-street parking spaces. This is a pre-existing building, obviously. Um, when it was built, we didn't have uh, a lot of um, large garages in the city, and um, there are there is a limited number of parking, and we are not in the position to be able to add more parking. The one thing I would do, and this is what I offered the Planning Commission, I'll offer it to council tonight is that there's a provision in the Astoria Code that allows us, where you, where it allows projects that have a pre-existing building that don't have room for additional off-street parking to pay in lieu um, for those uh, parking spaces. And we would offer that as a voluntary condition of approval if the council um, uh, is willing to consider that. Um, so those are the two main issues. The few oral statements and listening to the hearing tape by the Planning Commission is a discussion about whether or not the application is in the best interest of the city or is it beneficial to the city. And I, um, as the lawyer, I have to take some issue with that. The criteria don't require that a conditional use application uh, be beneficial to the city. Uh, we don't think that that's the right way to make a decision on a quasi-judicial land use application that has specific criteria and we believe we've met all those. 
Um, but to the extent that that comes into your thinking tonight, I would hope you consider why this would be good for the city. Um, this will help preserve and reinvest in an existing building. Um, and that's been part of the city for generations. It's going to facilitate and encourage tourism. It will help the local and regional businesses. And as Mr. Gillis will point out, it will help finance stewardship's other housing projects throughout the city. Stewardship Homes is not primarily a hotelier. They're primarily a housing building. And one of the goals for this project is to provide operating revenues for that development here in Astoria. Um, and then, as I will mention a little bit more later, it will help convert a pre-existing non-conforming use into a conforming use. The fact is, is that in the C4 zone, which is the downtown zone, standalone multifamily buildings are not permitted uses, either conditionally or otherwise. We are asking for a conditional use that is specified in that zone. Um, so uh, I'll turn now to the reason why we have a disagreement on the parking issue. Parking is specifically not required in the C4 zone, and that's in three different pieces of code and uh, and conditional, or excuse me, and comprehensive plan provisions. The first is ADC 2.425, which clearly says the uses permitted are intended to be compatible with the locale's pedestrian orientations. As a result, off-street parking is not required. When you look at a parallel provision in the parking code, which is section 7.180, it said uses in the C4 zone are not required to provide off-street parking loading. And then the conditional, or excuse me, the comprehensive plan provision 055 sub 2, the city supports efforts to improve the parking problem in downtown. However, the C4 zone will continue to not require off-street parking. So there are three places in city legislation that clearly say that activities within this zone and uses are not required to have parking. And it sounds an awful lot to me like the city realizes that there is tight parking in the downtown zone and it had a chance to address that and decided not to. It, it, it very clearly and expressly said we are not going to require parking in the downtown zone. The basis for a requirement for additional parking is a provision in ADC 11.040 uh, sub A sub 5, which allows the Planning Commission in certain cases to increase required off-street parking. Our position below and our position tonight is that you have to have some required off-street parking to increase for that to be a valid provision. But at any rate, um, this brings me back to the fee in lieu. Um, we're not conceding that we would be on the hook for a fee in lieu because we don't believe that we're required to um, have parking for this project. However, um, we specifically requested, understanding that people had concerns about this, that the Planning Commission and staff consider a fee and loop program. Um, that's allowed by right in uh, section, in ADC section 7.062, and we really would like the city to respond to that, um, as, as thus, thus far they haven't. Um, and again, that would be a voluntary contribution on our part that we'd be happy to make. Um, and the reason why we'd be happy to make that is that we can't provide off-street parking. We don't have the property for it. Um, if you were to say you have to provide off-street parking tomorrow, we'd be like, we can't. Because in order to provide off-street parking, you have to have the property. We simply don't. So we're between a bit of a rock and a hard place. Uh, we will do absolutely everything we can to address the city's concerns. Um, the second reason that is clear in the Commission's decision is concerns about short-term rentals and housing supply. And um, we believe, and this is not to be flippant, but I'm just going to try and be clear, 
We believe both of those concerns are inapplicable to this application. This is for a number of reasons, the simple list of which is that we're not applying for, an air, for a short-term rental use, we're applying for a hospitality use that's specifically allowed as a conditional use in this zone. This is not like people who own a home renting it out on Airbnb in a residential zone. This is a commercial zone. We could put a hotel here going through the same process. It's the same type of use we're applying for here. The fact that we're proposing to market it on Airbnb or VRBO is beside the point. The use is the same as any other hotel use would be in the C4 zone. The other reason is that state law requires that the city apply the criteria in effect when the application is made. Well, when the application was made, there was no discussion of banning short-term rentals. There was no discussion of eliminating a conditional use for um, hospitality in the C4 zone, and, and I don't think there ever will be, at least with the latter part. I think that you'll always be able to do a hotel as a conditional use in downtown Astoria. I think it would be a sea change if suddenly Astoria said no more hotels. Um, but at any event, there was certainly nothing on the books that prohibited a conversion of a non-conforming residential use into a conforming hospitality use. And um, I guess our expectation is to be able to use the property as it was zoned um, on the day that we made our application. Um, I'm going to conclude with two very quick points here. Um, there was some concern about whether the project was suitable at the proposed location. I don't know uh, how you could be more suitable. As uh, staff pointed out in the staff report, they found that the site is easily accessible to the downtown area in Columbia River. It puts people that want to visit or work for a time in Astoria very, very close to the downtown, very, very close to the river, very, very close to places that people using hospitality use would want to use. Um, the only basis for staff's finding that, uh, at least according to the staff report, that the application is um, inappropriate for the proposed location is its lack of off-street parking. And as I just mentioned, off-street parking is expressly not required in this zone in three separate places. Um, I also want to point out that the project does not violate the comprehensive plan. There's nothing in the comprehensive plan that prohibits in a commercial zone converting non-conforming residential uses into a conforming um, hospitality use. Uh, we provided a detailed response to all of the comprehensive plan provisions that everybody raised during the proceedings below. We believe that on balance the application is consistent with all the applicable um, comprehensive plan provisions and certainly there's quite a few that it doesn't affect one way or the other. And I think a lot of the comprehensive plan provisions that were raised in some of the testimony simply aren't applicable. I think the most applicable comprehensive plan provisions to this application are the ones affecting um, the downtown area, the policies that underpin the C4 zone. And when you actually read those policies, what we're doing is precisely consistent with what the C4 zone is intended to be. For example, CP 200 sub 4, encourage private developments such as retail, restaurants, commercial, transient lodging, and making strategic investments in target industries. When you look at sub 5, it said provide a supportive environment for new businesses. When you look at CP 204, uh, Sub three, it says encourage the growth of tourism as part of the economy. These are things in the comprehensive plan, and they're all things that make sense when you're applying them, as the plan does, to Astoria's downtown. So uh, by way of a conclusion, um, you know, we definitely believe that we meet all the criteria. Again, the, the primary two rubs are the parking and whether or not this affects the city's um, 
inventory of housing in some way. And on the latter part, I mean, we totally understand the, the drive to want to preserve as much housing in a growing city. Um, and Astoria is not alone in that. Um, but I think at, at a very essential level, that's a citywide problem. And it's really not for this application to solve. To the extent that the to the extent that the city wishes to ban short-term rentals or ban, or you know, perhaps the city would ban hospitality uses in its downtown. None of those bans were in effect at the time we made our application. Um, and also, I think that it's important for the council to consider that the C4 zoning is not residential zoning. This is not going and buying a apartment building in a multifamily zone, kicking everybody out and turning it into a hotel. The C4 zones I just mentioned is intended for these types of uses. Um, and uh, you know, as a final point, denial of the application in this case is not going to preserve affordable housing. There's no obligation on the part of stewardship to maintain this application for affordable, or to maintain this use for affordable housing. And um, I think that it would be unfair to categorize this as a question of whether we convert affordable housing to a commercial use. The question I hope that the council focuses on is whether or not what we are asking to do is allowed by the code and whether or not we meet the criteria. We believe that both answers to those questions are yes, and again, to ameliorate the, car, the parking concern, we would be more than happy to participate in the city's B and Lou program for that. So with that, I will uh, get out of the way and allow uh, Mr. Gillis to give you his presentation. How much more time do we have? One minute and 33 seconds. Okay, thank you. One minute? Okay. And 33 seconds. Hi, my name is Matt Gillis. My address is 11650 Southwest 67th Avenue, Suite 2, 10 and Tiger, Oregon 97223. Um, I've been around that story for a long time. I used to have photos in the Shanahan Gallery 15 years ago. Uh, I worked construction in New York. Uh, we, over the last four years, we've been consistently buying and renovating vacant homes and adding them back into the housing inventory. We've taken eight single-family vacant homes, fixed them, brought them back into housing over the last four years. I've also looked into building 30-plus unit apartment buildings and even talked to the city about uh, restoring Big Red. We bought this property so the hotel units would stipend and fund repairs for our single-family rentals in Astoria. It would help financially so we could do more, resi more residential units in the future. It's commercially zoned, and we purchased it prior to, new, prior to new code changes with the attempt of turning this into a hotel. We did not know these code changes were coming until I went to get the application because we never received letters in the mail from the city. This property will help stipend and fund new roofs and repairs on our single-family rentals in Astoria. I recently borrowed over 100 grand and put over 100 grand into fixing a six-unit apartment building in Astoria this last year. Um, we're very focused on housing. We do a lot of that. We, this one specifically is commercially zoned, and we bought it for this use. Um, yeah, I, mine's not that long. Yeah. So okay, it's like two and a half pages at the most, but it's big, so. Um, and on that building, the landlord couldn't afford repairs, and uh, by approving this application, it would allow us to fund other projects like this in Astoria. This property is the perfect location for a hotel use. It's on the outer edge of the downtown core. Guests would be able to walk throughout town, 
and not increase parking congestion in the middle of downtown. There's only a few blocks to the Riverwalk and the trolley. People will be able to walk to downtown, go to the restaurant and bars. It's the perfect location because people will be able to go walk down to the bars and restaurants and not drink and drive. They can walk right back to their hotel, which is safe for them driving. Um, it is also the perfect location because there is a park across the street, kids can play, and it's not adding traffic congestion. Most sites along Marine Drive would increase traffic congestion. It neighbors the church, a jail, a park, and an apartment building. Across the streets, county buildings, and, and McDonald's one block away. This neighborhood is predominantly commercial. Some of the buildings shown in the staff report, although they are one block away, they are in a residential zone. Multi-family in this zone is a non-conforming use. There were no other suitable buildings for hotel use for sale in a similar price range when we were looking at options for this. Um, we looked at Big Red, which was not zoned appropriately, and there were a couple other sites that were industrial zoning. Uh, there was no building for sale on the market that could have been retrofitted for this type of use. Uh, the data from the RMLS, or the Flex MLS, we pulled the data. There are only three commercial buildings sold through the Flex MLS this last year, since last August. Um, and they all sold prior to us purchasing this building. Um, and there are no other hotels for this use. Uh, there are no other hotels for sale in this price range. These hotel units would allow fishermen to have a place to cook their fish, and there's a huge demand for hotels during fishing season. The reality is a lack of hotel units is holding back revenue growth for local businesses in August, especially because the hotels are virtually 100% occupied. Like if you went to a hotel tonight, you could not find a room for less than 300 bucks a night. Uh, I tried. Uh, the units could host traveling nurses, physical therapists at the hospital, construction workers coming in town for bridge projects, for bridge projects, it would add, it would add needed short-term rental space with kitchens. These would host family members coming to town for the holidays, community members needing a transitional spot while they buy or sell their homes. This would bring revenue to the city and the county. The guests would be spending their money, money at the local stores and restaurants in Astoria. The code directly says no parking here is required in the C4 zone. We already have two off-street parking spaces and plus one adjacent to our property um, and then the code also allows a 20% reduction for being close to the bus stop and we're only three blocks away which would mean we only need four if we were required to have parking for the hotel spaces we would need to be required to be four and we have three per the code two off street one adjacent by approving this application you would be reducing the parking demand per the city code as a residential use, the code says it would need 6.5 spaces. As a hotel use, it would reduce uh, to five, or if you got the transit reduction, to four. Um, and I'm voluntarily proposing to pay the fee in lieu for the three spaces. The reality is this proposal would not be turned down based on the code criteria. We are proposing a hotel in a commercial zone. According to the county's new housing strategy report, short-term rentals should be in commercial zones and hotels of hospitality use and not in residential zones. Although we are zoned commercial, this has been morphed into an affordable housing issue, but the reality is, is there's 122 new apartments that have been proposed in Astoria this year. There's 40 at Merwin, 32 next door to Safeway, and then there's 50 that have been proposed by the First Presbyterian Church that they're working on purchasing that building. 
um, please approve this application because it does meet the code criteria. It's in the commercial zone where short-term rentals should be for the of County Housing Report. It would, create a, it would create a unique housing option for construction workers, traveling nurses, and it will help fund repairs for our single-family rentals in Escondido. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. So now I would like to uh, invite individuals who are in favor of the appeal. Uh, each person testifying will be provided with three minutes. Again, please give your name and address when you speak. Um, are there any, is there anybody here in favor who would like to speak? Seeing none. And, and just to clarify, in favor of the appeal, means that they are against the Planning Commission's decision for denial. I'm sorry, are you here to speak in favor I'm of the appeal? In favor of the appeal. Thank you. Uh, my name is Vicki Gillis. I happen to be Matthew Gillis's parent. Um, I would like to say thank you to the counselors and staff in the community for allowing me to speak. Could you, Could you move Can the you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm short. And we need your address as well. Oh, thank you. Um, I speak for Stewardship Homes. It's 2050 Beaver Creek Road, Suite 101-337, Oregon City, Oregon 97045. Um, our family's always loved Astoria. We purchased properties in Astoria so that we could keep them and repair them and keep them beautiful, things that were in total disrepair. And when we were looking at uh, the Commercial Street property. We, just, we purchased it with the intent of turning it into uh, short-term uh, rentals because, as Matthew had said, we wanted to be able to subsidize our other uh, residential properties. And this property, when we were um, exploring the possibilities, completely met all of the Astoria code requirements. Otherwise, it wouldn't have ever started this process as we researched it beforehand. Um, the one thing I would like to say is that we maintain the exterior of the houses to be totally the same as when we purchased them, when they were originally built. This house was built in 1897. Um, and regarding parking, I have been there morning, noon, night, weekends, weekdays, and there's always parking on the street. The one time I have not been there is Sunday morning. And so I can't speak to whether there's parking in there on Sunday morning because we are next door to First Baptist Church. Anyway, um, with respect to your time, I will now sit down, but I do request that you would uh, honor our appeal. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else in favor? Seeing none, um, I invite testimony from people to speak who would speak against the appeals. That is, they're in favor of upholding the planning commission decisions of denial. Each person will be on each side of three minutes and please state your name and address. Do we have anybody to speak against? Sarah Meyer, I live at 555 Rivington, Astoria, Oregon. 
I have a photo collection of old pictures. I have views of the backside of this building that date prior to 1890, and you can tell it's the right place and the right building. I didn't know if you had looked at the historical impact of the last building on that city block. I think that needs to be considered, whether it be a short-term rental or a home or whatever, but I think I was really glad to hear that you intend to maintain that era, but it's, it's really historic for the town, and it went up at a time when we didn't have cars. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Seeing none. Wait, um, is there somebody against? Like this is against. against. Oh, okay. Yeah. So please, and okay. make sure everybody in the back is aware. And okay. by the way, people sitting outside, there are three or four open chairs in here. So My name is Pamela Madsen McDonald. I reside at 258 Commercial Street. I looked for so long to find another place to live when they were tearing apart my former apartment. And we need those five apartments for people who live here. There are a number of hotels here. Comfort Suites, Hotel Elliott, Cannery Pier Hotel, Holiday Inn, Motel 6, Astoria River Walk Inn, Hampton Inn and Suites, Atomic Motel, Crest Motel, Commodore, Norblad, Columbia Inn and Astoria Rivershore Hotel, and a lot of B&Bs and VRBOs. And I don't know why we need more hotels. There are places to stay in here. I've called a number of hotels here, and there are rooms available right now. Thank you. It shouldn't be built like that. Thank, Thank you. you. Is there anybody else who would wish to speak against? Seeing none, um, is there anybody who would like to speak impartially? And seeing none, um, then in that case, uh, we will entertain a rebuttal from the appellant. You will have a total of seven minutes. And please state your name now. Thank you, Councillor Bronson. Uh, Bronson, Bronson. Uh, Garrett Stevenson, 1211 Southwest Fifth Avenue, Suite 1900, Portland, Oregon, 97204. Um, I'm not going to take all seven minutes, so um, I'm just going to reiterate that we, we definitely understand the pressures to provide enough housing for the people of the city. Um, however, I think that um, if the city wishes to reserve its commercial, its central commercial zone for the production of housing, it's free to do that. But it hasn't done that in this case. It's allowed commercial uses to occur in that commercial zone. I can almost guarantee you that if we had um, been considering something in a residential zone, this would be a much different conversation. I think at some level, all we're asking to do is be able to use the property as its zone. Um, I don't believe that there's any criterion or any consideration that's stated in the Code of Comprehensive Plan that would prohibit us um, from doing what we're trying to do simply because the city has a lack of housing. Um, as uh, Mrs. Gillis and as Matt Gillis explained, one of the goals of this project is to provide cash flow income so that we can do more housing projects in the city. 
but I'll just reiterate one more time, it's a C4 zone. This is allowed in the zone, and um, we believe we meet all the criteria to establish that use. Um, so thank you. I've, I'm happy to answer any questions, and I think Matt is happy as well, um, if you have any. It depends on whether you uh, were to reopen the public hearing. Okay. All right, we'll see no questions at this point in time. Um, thank you. Thank you, counselors. Appreciate your time. And uh, so at this point, I will close the public hearing. And now, um, time for Council questions, if you want it, and clarification from staff. So we're going to address questions to staff if you have any particular questions. And uh, I think this, I would recognize whoever chooses to go first. If you have a well, is this the appropriate time to comment, or should I wait for questions? I would, um, I would say comments are and questions, comments, and questions okay. at this point, because of this, after we get done with this, this part of it, um, and we've had an opportunity to ask our questions for council, there will be more further discussion um, and consideration. So, uh, yeah, probably. Okay. So, no questions. No. Any other council members have questions for staff? Uh, Mayor? Do you have any questions for staff? I don't have any questions. Okay. Um, so I don't have I may have a question. So and and I, I, I think that I, I just want to I'd probably like some clarify some legal clarification and Two things, um, Mr. Morgan, if you could restate for us exactly um, the terms of the denial, the issues of denial, and give a little bit of context, and, and then I'd be interested in uh, hearing from our attorney um, how these, from the standpoint of the city, hold up. The order, I'm, I'm fumbling around here, but the order uh, that the Planning Commission um, adopted, uh, of course, was based on uh, the, the findings, uh, the findings that they're, it was based on, or were in the staff report. So um, the staff report goes through uh, the conditional use uh, the conditional use criteria, and I think as uh, as the uh, counsel for the uh, appellant has stated, um, there are I guess six or seven different um, 
criteria that that uh, we felt was um, that that were applicable and would uh, and pointed towards denial of the uh, of the the application. Uh, do you want me to, to to read those or they're they're in your package? Maybe, you know, Council Brownson. Maybe if I can provide maybe a, 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 a synopsis page at a point you two. Sure. Perhaps uh, I'm looking at page 30, sorry, on page 31 of the record. Uh, this is the uh, specifically the legal man memorandum provided by Mr. Henningsgaard uh, to the Planning Commission dated June 17, 2009. Um, recommendation to deny this permit is based upon staff's conclusion that stewardship homes did not meet the necessary criteria and that a hotel is not appropriate at the site. Uh, staff report states the request does not meet all applicable review criteria. The lack of parking would place pressure on the availability of parking for local residents and others. Although a ban on conversion of residential to lodging units has not yet been acted, the proposed ban underscores issues that short-term rentals pose to the city. Staff concludes that the applicant has failed to demonstrate compliance with section 11.030 sub A sub 1 and the conversion of this residential use to short-term rentals is not appropriate at this location. Uh, there's also a reference in this memorandum uh, that the, the, uh, the development code allows hotels in the C4 zone if among other requirements, the applicant can demonstrate compliance with the general requirements that appear in Article 11. And this includes a requirement that the use is appropriate at the proposed location. Several factors which should be considered in determining whether or not the use is appropriate include one, accessibility for users such as customers and employees. The second one, availability of similar, similar existing uses. Third, availability of appropriately zoned sites and desirability of other suitably zoned sites for the use. So I would note that uh, in Mr. Henningsgaard's uh, memo, it says whether a particular use is appropriate creates a discretionary and subjective standard. The standard is flexible to allow consideration of factors other than those specifically mentioned and address impacts caused by a particular development. Uh, the word should requires the applicant to address issues of accessibility, availability of similar existing uses, availability of other appropriate zone sites, and the desirability of other suitable zone sites. As noted in staff's conclusion, the, uh, the applicant has failed to demonstrate compliance. Okay, well that pretty much, you would need to have anything to add to that at this point. Stand by this, by your, uh, Mr. Hansworth. I'm sorry, Beth. Yeah, so, you, is there anything you would add to your uh, written opinion at this point? No, I think I, it's still accurate, I believe. Okay, and just one, one more thing, Mr. Morgan. Um, do you, do you have any specific response to some of the points that were brought up by the appellant, particularly the idea that they're just converting it back to uh, a non-conditional use, using a conditional use to turn it into a non-conditional use. Um, is, that a, is that a strong enough rationale? Or, I mean, they, they have, they, they, they brought up a, a few points, and I just kind of want to hear uh, maybe a response to them. Well, 
I, you know, I, I think that the, the staff report uh, talks about, you know, the appropriateness of the, of the use. I mean, we, we acknowledged, uh, or acknowledged in the, in the staff report that the, uh, the ban on conversion of, of uh, housing to, to short-term rental is, was not uh, adopted at that, at that point. But but the, uh, the the recommendation hinged on um, the uh, uh, the appropriateness of of that particular use in that location, and that as as uh, Attorney Hengsberg pointed out, that there's a lot of discretion in the uh, in in the conditional use uh, section of the code, which allows the planning commission to. To you know, make that make that decision. It's not it's not um, you know, cut and dried. It's a it's a subjective, somewhat of a subjective uh, decision. So that's that's where the planning commission came down on that. All right. Thank you. So, uh, are there any other questions that might come up? All right. Thank you, Mr. Morgan. And um, the. Uh, so at this point, the city council can take into consideration if we have any statements to make, any further comments before uh, somebody moves forward with the motion. This is your opportunity, and Joan, I know that you have something to say. Sure, I'll, I will speak. Um, according to my information that we have received, a conditional use, which is what the applicant is requesting, is not a permitted use in a zone unless the council can find that the proposed use will benefit the city in some way. So the applicant, the appellate has made the case that having this transformed into a hotel or short-term rental, I mean, let's call it what it is, hospitality service. I'm assuming this is going to be a short-term rental, not a hotel per se, but maybe that's beside the point. You could say that will provide rooms for visitors, but if you were here in most months of the year, I can pretty much guarantee there would be plenty of rooms, but that's really beside the point because the greater need is not more rooms for visitors to come, but for people to live. And the idea of removing five people from their home right now, where are they going to find a place to live? As you heard from one, um, person who testified earlier, it's very difficult to find a place to live in this town. The greatest need is for housing, not for more vacation rentals. And our comprehensive plan does indeed touch on that need. And let me look in my notes to find where I um, address that. The comprehensive plan states um, that we have an extremely low vacancy rate it is identified as a problem in the city's conference plan. Um, maintaining the community's existing housing stock is a goal we have adopted as a council. And we also have in our plan a goal of maintaining active and livable residential neighborhoods for all types of housing. Yes, the downtown is a commercial district, but this building is a residence for five or more people, five units. So again, the idea of transforming that into something that we do not need, it's not nearly as much as we need housing, it's not something that 
we can do for a conditional use permit. And the applicant must demonstrate that indeed, in order for the conditional use permit to be granted, that he has demonstrated that need. Thank you. Anybody yeah. else? Um, I want to reiterate kind of what Joan said about uh, the conditional use permit. I have questions around that because I know that the council hasn't moved towards um, any sort of ban against converting residential into uh, hotel or short-term rentals and commercial zones. That's your council Councilor, you, you have passed that and you have adopted it. In commercial zones? That's correct. Okay, that may have been before. But it, I knew that that was in process, and so I, in verifying that information, you know, basically what Mike and Mayor Henningsgaard said about um, there being room to uh, interpret the code, and as Joan reiterated, as far as if it's going to be a benefit for the city or not. Um, I think the most challenging thing for me about your argument is that you're assuming that, you know, you talk, you reiterated commercial zone, it's in a commercial zone over and over again, but you're assuming that residents here don't live in commercial zones. We have a, a number of people that work and live here that live in commercial zones, um, a lot of which were originally constructed apartments, for instance, above downtown businesses and such. Um, also, listing things off like it being a close to a park or a place to cook fish or a place to walk home after having a beer, these are things that residents also need. Um, and as Joan mentioned, you know, the, in creating a, the Astoria City Council put together a, a vision statement and the very second bullet point in that out of only four is livability and quality of life for residents. The City Council's goals, which were just established earlier this year, the very second bullet point is to support efforts to increase the housing supply using the county housing study as a guide. So the county housing study, which we just reviewed, I think a few months ago, Astoria has lost 14% of its housing to vacation rentals or short-term rentals, and for us, that's quite a bit. And, you know, you listed off, um, you talked about short-term rentals, um, I, I believe, I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, all of the proposed apartments combined um, that you had mentioned earlier, and I wish I had more specific information on that. Oh, that we were giving examples about the Merwin, the, the apartments that are going up behind Safeway, all of those combined wouldn't even equal the numbers that came out in the housing study for the amount of housing that we need. And so I hope you understand why us, I guess I can just speak for myself, I'm very protective of that. Um, also as someone who lost their apartment to a short-term rental after having lived in it for 13 years. And even if I hadn't, I would still be um, opposing this change of use. Thank you. Um, Council Walker. Uh, well, I appreciate the testimony tonight from the applicant and from his attorney. Um, and, and I trust you are a good guy trying to do good things in the community. I'm not sure it was entirely fair having your mom testify. 
<laughs> and I think your attorney's done a good job of presenting your case, albeit with a little bit of cherry picking. But um, I go through that neighborhood every single day. I live beyond that neighborhood. And so I'm very familiar with that. And it's the appropriateness that hangs me up. Uh, if we were if we were growing the lines today over downtown Kansas, it would be at six street, it would be at seven. That's really a very residential neighborhood. You're next to a church that hosts a lot of community groups. And I drive by there and there are 20 or 30 people on the street waiting to get into the church for the meeting. That park across the street is not a tourist park. It's a magnet for moms with strollers and their kids. And this is what I see every day going by there. So it's the appropriateness of, of that use in that neighborhood that, that bothers me. And as my colleagues have pointed out, it's that, that use is sort of in direct opposition to what this city's needs are right now. And the occupancy, you're right, and, I, and August is pretty high, but if you talk to the other lodging people around town, they'll tell you that that's three months a year. And the rest of the year, you're looking at maybe 50%. And that's including the properties that are the most popular. So, you know, our city attorney, this is not an outright uh, use, um, uh, permitted use. It is a conditional use permit, and that does allow us to, to have some discretion and judgment. And as I look at that neighborhood and how that neighborhood is used, how that street is used right where your property is, it just doesn't seem like the right use for that place. And even the downtown association Lodging. 
arguments which I believe are very valid. Nonetheless, I believe those arguments, while true, are removed for the reasons outlined by Mr. Henningsgaard. So of the two opposing legal arguments, I find Mr. Henningsgaard's argument more convincing. I would agree with the finding that the conversion of this residential use to short-term rentals is not appropriate at this location, and I would uh, affirm the APC's decision. Thank you. I don't have much more to add to this. I think that you, indeed, again, as expressed, I appreciate the work that you've been doing in town as I understand it up to this point. Um, but I, I, I agree that housing has been, since I've been on the council for the last two and a half years, housing has been the major issue, um, the lack of. And we are, uh, we are growing town. We don't want to grow over 10,000, but we're, nothing I can do about that one way or the other. Um, at, the, and on, at the same time, we've also, if you've been paying attention to some of the stuff we've been dealing with here and the upcoming discussion on the Bridge Vista overlay code, there are some real concerns about um, too, many, too much tourism, too many hotels, it seems to be a driving force. There's a lot of lodging, uh, new lodging coming, and there's a, uh, if you talk to hoteliers that exist now, they would say even the additional hotels are really going to be creating a problem for them because, yes, August is an intense period, um, but it just starts going down in September, October, December, January, uh, vacancy rates are pretty high, and housing is still needed. And um, so I, I will have to uh, side with the rest of the council on this and, and with uh, our attorney's interpretation of our discussion on this. So at this point, um, I would be willing to entertain a motion. And let me. Uh, There are several things, let me just read, there are several things that we can do here at this point. So, um, we, we can deny the appeals which will uphold the Planning Commission decisions that deny the original request. So that would be a motion to deny the appeal. Uh, we can approve the appeals which will reverse the Planning Commission's decisions and approve the original request. We may also remand the issue back to the Planning Commission for reconsideration. And by the way, I have just a quick question for our city manager. If, if that were done, how does that affect the 120-day review? You would have to, in order to be in compliance, you would need to get the applicant to agree to a 120-day extension. Right. Well, uh, some period of time. Some period of time in order to achieve this. Okay, I just want that to be clear. And um, the, yeah, I move that we affirm the decision of the Planning Commission and deny the appeal. I hear a motion. Um, do I hear a second? Um, probably the better motion would be to tentatively deny it and direct staff to prepare findings I, that, that comport with uh, statements that uh, council has made. I uh, deny motion. I move that we tentatively uh, deny the appeal and. Staff to uh, prepare findings. 
So, um, Mayor, I think that uh, um, actually if um, planning staff can confer with the city attorney real quick, but there was a, a quick procedural question. Roger. And so while we're waiting for that, we can continue with hearing your date and time, uh, your date and time, uh, but we still have 120 days, so we <coughs> So, so, so is that um, Blair's suggesting that that we uh, do some work on the findings um, and uh, hold a special meeting prior to the 120-day uh, uh, period runs out. Okay. So, so uh, Council President, you have a motion on the table uh, to. Uh, to, to, right, to deny the appeal and uphold the Planning Commission decision. But at the, uh, this goes back to you, uh, Mayor Jones, at the suggestion of the city attorney, um, the suggestion is that that be a tentative decision and that uh, final findings be brought back to the city council at a special meeting uh, before August 28, 2019 for the council to consider those final findings and conduct a final vote. So, um, Mayor Jones, what is suggested by the city attorney is that you amend your motion uh, so that that be a tentative decision. Roger, I, I move that we uh, tentatively deny the appeal and uh, have staff prepare findings to be brought back to a special meeting prior to August 28th, I believe it was. Again, do I hear a second to uh, revise motion? Okay, so do you need a roll call on this? No, no, no but you, um, what you do need to do is tonight, right now, select when you're going to meet on the date and the time. Right, so today's Monday the 19th, the 28th is Wednesday next week. Um, so we could, how long, first of all, how long will the staff we need to? By next Tuesday. So Tuesday or Wednesday, yeah, 27th and 28th. So is there a preference by anybody between a Wednesday and a Thursday? Does that matter much? Yeah, the 27th and 28th are both good with me. I would note that we have a uh, 6.30 p.m. Planning Commission on the 27th of August. Uh, so if you're... Um, at 5.30 on the... I'll do it at 5.30? On the 27th. I'd be okay with that. I'll be out of town. Okay, so um, we will... We'll be reconvening to be reconvening. Uh, you only actually need to take the vote, but to clarify, you know, that the date um, that you would be reconvening is Tuesday, August the 27th at 5.30 p.m. And so you would need to take a vote on the motion in April. Okay. 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 Okay
So, and it does not need to be roll call. So we have a motion and a second. Um, all in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed? Hearing none, um, that motion is uh, approved. Uh, my question is, you know, I don't have this will be the letter. So that ends uh, this agenda item for this evening. I want to thank everybody who is here for that. Um, it is 8.30. We have um, another, uh, I think it would be a good time to take a break. Maybe take 10 minutes and um, I'm going to temporarily not adjourn. Just recess for 10 minutes. Break. Recessing for a 10 minute break. We'll reconvene here at 8.40. Is he getting back to order? Mayor Jones, are you there? Indeed, I'm here with bells on. Thank you. <laughs> you can leave the bells in Michigan. Um, all right. So. The next agenda item is a public hearing and first reading on the Bridge Vista Overlay Code Amendment. Um, so, uh, if you'd like, uh, Council Brunson, on this item, the City of Astoria is the applicant. And uh, what you can do is, if you'd like, uh, go ahead and open the public hearing and Planner Johnson can give um, the overview staff report with okay. regards to the code amendments and then move on to the public testimony phase. Okay, so first of all I want to, uh, does anyone object to the jurisdiction of the City Council to hear this matter at this time? Person speaking tonight should address the remarks to whether or not the application in question meets the necessary criteria, and if not, state why. The applicable criteria are listed in the staff report and may be obtained from the interim community uh, development director. Failure to raise an issue in person or by letter to the council means an appeal if that same issue will not be permitted. If you wish to speak, please come forward to the lectern, give your name and address, and give your testimony. I will open this uh, public hearing. And uh, Ms. Johnson can come forward and give uh, the staff report uh, as the applicant in the city. Thank you, Ms. Johnson. Okay, Rosemary Johnson, Planning Consultant, 672 15th Street, Astoria, Oregon, 9703. Um, what we have tonight is Part B of the Riverfront Vision Plan uh, amendments that were proposed as a result of issues that arose at the City Council during the application of the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone for the Fairfield Hotel. The first part of the amendments have already been adopted and are part of the code. However, the section concerning height of buildings and mass of buildings uh, was held over for this Part B. So this is a, a, a second part of that application. Um, I have a a short presentation that will give you an overview of what's going on with this section. And let's see here. 
There we go. Okay, height, mass, and then with that, there's the possibility of two special planning districts, the Astoria Warehousing Planning District and Port of Astoria West Basin Planning District. And we'll talk about those in this presentation. What we're referring to is the bridge vista overlay of the Riverfront Vision, and that blue area is the bridge vista. It goes from the edge of Pier 1, including the Astoria River Walk in, and then all of the area past the Astoria Megler Bridge, all the way to 2nd Street. And it goes West Marine Drive to the Pier Headline. So it's, that's the general area. With the Bridge Vista, uh, part of what we'll be discussing tonight is a building over the water. So you see the red hashed area is what is called a limitation area. And the existing Bridge Vista zone says that air, uh, construction in those two areas is limited to top of bank, which means you cannot have buildings going any higher than the shoreline. So those are some special areas. When the Planning Commission looked at this issue, they looked at multiple ways to address mass and scale. One of them was to do a view corridor requirement between construction, between buildings. When we applied that to the Bridge Vista configuration, the Planning Commission realized that the clear line of vision with view quarters could not be created because the lots actually are askew. You don't have lots that have clear right-of-ways or straight lot lines where you could have setbacks. So as an example here, if you had all those orange existing buildings and put in a, say, a 60-foot view quarter between buildings, as you can see with new construction, they could be haphazard and would not give you those view quarters that they were looking for. So that was one of the uh, options that they were looking at and decided that it wasn't getting where they needed to be. The other issue they looked at was height of buildings. And in the city of Astoria, we determined height by the top of mansard or flat roofs. And if it's a pitched roof, you go halfway between the eave and the ridge. So here's a, a prime example right in Bridge Vista. You have the Uniontown Apartments where the height would only go midpoint up to that ridge. Yet the building next to it, uh, if you're familiar with the Taggart building, uh, it would go to the top of that. The other thing they looked at was the height over water. And the diagram is the one that's in the code now that says development cannot go higher than the top of bank for those limitation areas. Here are three examples. At the Cannery Pier Hotel, you can see that concrete dock that is closer to the foreground is right at the height of the shoreline. The one below, you have the East Mooring Basin and you have a building on the shore to your left, but then that walkway and then the mooring is down below the shoreline. So that walkway and moorage would meet that top of bank. And then on the top right hand, again, you're at the top of the bank and all of the moorage is down below. So all of that would be allowed to be constructed by allowing construction to the top of the bank, but not a building above. 
Another issue that was discussed and is a um, concern to people is the exemptions that are allowed above the height of the building. Now, exemptions include things like flagpoles, utility poles, um, vents, but it also includes utilities that are generally found on the roof of buildings, heating units, uh, water cool, uh, condensers, things like that. So you have a lot of equipment that goes on the roof. You also have elevator shafts. And so those right-hand two pictures show you how large an elevator shaft can get depending on what's allowed above the, bill, uh, the roof height. We have recently adopted new code language that says elevator shafts and those exemptions must be necessary facilities on the roof and cannot include just storage areas or staircases or anything like that. So you would see them slightly smaller than what you see in this picture, but you could still have something similar to that for elevators. So with all of the things that the Planning Commission looked at, they took into consideration the City Council's uh, suggestion of possibly 28 foot high maximum. They also looked at what the current code was, which allowed up to 45 foot high. The idea of mass and the square footage of the buildings was considered, and other issues that would open up space for viewing or for just open space in that general area. What they finally came up with which was kind of balancing the council's recommendation, what we heard from the citizens, what we were hearing from property owners who wanted development, and all of, taking all of that into consideration, they came up with an idea to have the land area a maximum of 35 feet high with no possibility of a variance. You would still have your exceptions up there like utility poles and utilities and elevators, but the, the 30,000 square foot maximum for buildings would be per building. Now you only have a couple of lots in the Bridge Vista area that could handle two large buildings. Most of them are much smaller lots between 5,000 and um, 17,000 square feet, so you're not going to get large buildings on those lots, but those two larger areas of port and historic warehousing uh, could have 30,000 square foot buildings. But with the variety of lot size, what the commission came up with is what's called floor-to-area ratio. And a floor-to-area ratio says how much of your lot you can cover with buildings, and it looks at if you're going to have a single story, of 10,000 square feet, you have to have a lot where that's only 75% of the lot. If you go up to two stories, then you can't have two stories at the same width because that doubles your square footage. So you now have instead of 10,000, you'd have a 20,000 square foot building. That means you're going to squish it in and it would be a narrower building. The narrower the building, the broader your view quarters will be. So they looked at a floor area ratio of 0.75. In addition to that, since there were some of those large lots, such as Astoria Warehousing and or the port, that could see some redevelopment, 
they determined that if they put 30,000 square foot max per building, that you would have to maintain a 60 foot view corridor between the buildings. Now that 60 foot view corridor only works on these larger lots as I showed in that earlier slide because of the configuration of those smaller lots, you wouldn't get a clear line of sight between them. For the top of bank, or for the water, any development would be to the top of the bank. However, they said that we want to, they wanted to support water-dependent uses, and clearly what was truly water-dependent, and allow them up to 35 feet. So you're talking about fish processing and things like that. With that, they also said that there was concern about the definition of water dependent. So in your packet, you have some of that information. And the one that was of most concern was that water dependent use in the Article 4 of the Development Code includes recreation, which says active recreation such as swimming, boating, and fishing, or passive such as viewing and walking. And they had the concern that a hotel could come in and say viewing was part of their uh, operation, therefore they're water dependent because they need the view of the water. So they are recommending a code amendment here so that passive recreation associated with another use does not change the, the classification of the primary use. So the primary use would be a hotel or whatever the use would be, the passiveness of viewing or walking does not change that classification. But then you think a, a hotel could have a marina. The marina portion would be water dependent. So the code, the way they have it drafted here, would say the hotel stays non-water dependent, only the marina is water dependent. So the, that would not then allow the hotel over the water. And I'm just using hotel as an example. There's other uses. So here is an example of floor area ratio, uh, just to give you how it works. If you look at the, the middle one, FAR 1.0, that would say that the entire lot could be covered by a single story building. That would be your 15 foot high building. A 28 foot high building is two stories. Once you start getting that stacking, you can see how the middle and then the right hand went you get more open space for the viewing as you go slightly taller. They're still recommending just the 35 foot high, but with that floor area ratio to deal with the mass of buildings. Uh, they also are recommending two planned district areas. Now what a planned district would do is say that the port, which is the red window on your left, and the orange one on the right is what's called the Astoria Warehousing Plan District. What would happen is the code would have sections in it that would allow these two entities to develop a master plan for redevelopment of their area. That master plan would have to then come to the Planning Commission and City Council for you to accept that master plan as appropriate and showing that there is a need to change code from these 
uh, code amendments that we're proposing right now. The reason for these two plan districts is because both of them have excessive land area, large parcels, uh, to limit such as the Astoria warehousing to one 30,000 square foot building on approximately seven acres would be unreasonable. So by doing a plan district, it allows them to come up with that plan, come in and say, here's how we'd like to develop. These are a couple of the design issues or footprints that would not work for us if we could get those changed. The council has the authority to accept or deny that plan at that time. If you accept the plan and the proposed changes, then they would have to come in and apply that change through an amendment to that area for the development. Now because things change over the years, uh, the, the commission also was recommending a sunset clause. So let's go over the court one just as an example. What they were suggesting is if you approve this master plan in the future and they come in, these were the things that they would be allowed to, to alter. They said no changes in use. The uses that are there are fine. Uh, they would be able to change the maximum building height to 35 feet. And that one maybe we may suggest a couple more words in there, so 35 feet and not require the step back. Because right now the 35 is the height for that zone. But if they came in, they could say, we don't want to do the step back in this area. We want the full 35 feet. But again, the council and commission would have to approve that. Uh, they could ask for setback modifications, but we're saying they can't reduce new quarters because those are specific to allow some views. Uh, the building size and footprint would be permissible. Maybe they come in and say, well, we really need a different FAR to allow this configuration. So there are things where you could be a little more flexible. The limitation areas over the water would re remain limitation areas, top of bank. And there's a pedestrian-oriented area, and that one is to remain as pedestrian oriented. Can't remember. So all the code requirements in that overlay would not be eligible to be changed. So with that, then you have, there's a pedestrian area. So you can see how much of it overlaps the bridge vista. There are only, I believe, two parcels in there that would be court owned. The rest right now are other ownerships. Then you have the Astoria Warehousing District. Here they said there would be the possibility of changing some allowable uses. Again, the change in building height to allow maybe no step backs. And then the same, uh, they could do setback modifications, but not the view quarters. The building size and footprint. And any limitation areas would remain limitation areas. So that would be there. Then. Those are the limitation areas in the red hash marks. So with the code amendments, there are the staff report you have in front of you. I won't review that specifically, but there is one typo that I'd like to note, and it's only on the amendment synopsis, which is not a document that you're adopting, but I want to make sure that it's clear. 
In the synopsis for the standards for on-land development, it says amend to allow 28 foot high with no variance. That should say 35 foot high. And then if, um, if you want to go with this, what, one of the other recommendations uh, for the change in building height to 35 feet for the plan district, we would like to add language that just says without step backs. So it's clear that's what was intended there. Uh, the plan districts, as I said, would have to go through a lot of public hearings and adoption by the commission and the or recommendation by the planning commission and adoption by the city council. And due to the change in, a, in the way the city develops over the years, the commission put a sunset clause which said if nothing happens within five years, that we will revisit this to see if we want to keep the ability of a planned district or not, because things could change. And then there's also a uh, part of that section that says the plan district will be reevaluated every five years to make sure that it's still achieving the goals that the council intended. Okay? Any questions? I, I do have a question. Um, referring to the Astoria warehousing site, my understanding is that as long as they could have a 60-foot view corridor, they could have more than one 30,000-square-foot building on the property, is that correct? Correct. The other Riverfront Vision areas, we put a 30,000 for the site. In this situation, what we're saying is 30,000 per building which would allow those larger lots to have the buildings as long as they did a 60-foot viewport. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I understood that because I thought I heard that they could only have one 30,000-square-foot building on that site, but that's not correct. That was the earlier drafts. Okay. And what was before you at the time that the amendment split, that was what it said. And the 30,000 per building is one of the compromises that came up through this process. Okay, and of course, if the new buyer, whoever it is, decides not to get rid of the warehouses, then that's fine. I mean, they're already there. They're existing, All right? This is okay. you know, for new construction. So, if one of those buildings were torn down and they wanted to keep one and build something new, that new building would have to maintain the 60 feet from that existing building. Okay, and that applies to the port property also. too. Okay. Correct. Thanks. It applies to all of them, but they're probably the only two that really would benefit okay. from that. Okay. So I'm wondering if um, whether this is a good time for questions or we should wait for a rebuttal uh, opportunity. No, I'm actually, go ahead I, think it's, I think it's, uh, if you'd like, it's totally appropriate to have the council ask staff questions now. At this point, okay. Just want to be clear on that. So are there any other questions from staff at this point? Sure. Uh, there's one area in section 14.113 uh, it's talking about overwater development and it says that can be um, a height of 35 feet with no maximum floor area. And then a little later on it says those, that same standard would apply on land north of the river trail. We do have land area north of the river trail that's not over water. Right. And so that, um, let's see. 
So would the standard there be there was there would be no uh, limitation on, on uh, maximum square area on the north side of the river trail? And where's that no limitation? It's uh, uh, fourteen point one thirteen. And that's on land. Right. At first, at first, it talks about over water and says 35 feet with no maximum floor area. And then a couple of lines further down, it says the oh. same standard would apply on land north of the river trail. Okay, the, the section at the top is 14.100 for over water development. If it's within the non-limitation area, so outside of those red dotted areas, there's no maximum gross floor area for those. However, if it's top of bank, that means that gross floor area would be below the bank level. If it's water dependent, then they wouldn't have that square footage. There's another section of the code that's not here that's already adopted, which says how wide <laughs> buildings can be and how close to the shoreline. So this is taken out of context because of the other restrictions they have. The current code says that your buildings can only be so many feet wide, and then you have to have so many feet of view corridor, and they have to be a certain distance from the shore. So there's other codes that would limit the size of the building, but they could go far out into the river and exceed that 30,000 square feet, but still provide those view corridors. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Uh, are there other things that kind of exceed the limits we're thinking about? I understand that when we're talking about uh, uh, floor area, so uncovered parking isn't included. Um, so would that also be a block of people's views? Covered? Covered parking, if it's within the building, does not count towards their floor area ratio. So if they have ground floor parking, that would not be part of their building uh, square footage. And that was determined earlier on uh, during the last adoption of the, the rest of the code because the council and planning commissions uh, desire to have not seeds of parking but have the parking hidden within the buildings. So to allow it to go into the building, that was an encouragement by allowing that as extra square footage. If you discourage it and don't count it within the building, then they're not going to put it in the building. They're going to have a sea of parking, and you'll have large parking lots. How, how does that dance with the floor to area ratio? When he's, if we're talking about a lot that's not the floor or not the warehouse district, it's a smaller lot, and you may have footage that doesn't count, what does that do to the size and shape of the building? Can I just insert, can I add to the question, um, is that, do the height limitations actually, does it affect height limitations? Height limitations are height limitations, right? right. What you do within your building is up to you, within the code. If you do a single story with commercial, you're at 15 feet. If you do two stories, you're at 28. If you want to do three stories, it's 35. If you use your first floor for parking, that doesn't change the 35. It just changes your, your square footage. So if you're going to do 
30,000 square feet, you might be able to get a slightly larger building footprint because we're not counting the parking area. Mm -hmm. so it but it's still only 75% of the lot can be covered by building. So it could be a little wider, for instance, but it still couldn't exceed 35 feet. Right, it still can't be more than 35, and it still can't exceed 75% of the lot. Right, so if it's one store, if it's one story, even with a parking lot underneath it, it won't be more than 75% of the lot. If they have two stories with the parking lot, it's going to be 37.5% of the, the lot, so it's going to keep opening up that space regardless of it. And then if you try and go to three stories, you don't get there because you're probably too high. That's well, about as high as you can go. Yeah, I'll just back up one step. If it's the ground floor is parking, that's zero square footage. Right. Your first floor, would, your next floor would be your square footage. So that's where you're 75. So if they do parking inside, they use that as other usable space. So that doesn't get it down to 37 and a half if they go to that no, second I story. No, right, no. Okay. So it's, it's zero plus a wall. It's the two stories on top of the parking lot right. gets it to the 37. Correct. And because Correct. there's a parking lot, you probably can't go to 35, so you're not going to even get smaller. That it will end up being that 37.5 at a maximum. Probably. Yeah. But it counts for the height limit. But it still has to go to 35 is the max, yes. And when they looked at the 28 with no view quarters or some of these other floor area ratios, what you get is a two-story building block to block with no quarters for views in between and no open space necessarily. Um, just out of curiosity, why do we only measure halfway up a pitch roof? And is that assuming mm -hmm. that the mechanical <laughs> is going in there? That, can you show a mechanical on top of that? Right, that is a common practice in planning. You have different cities go different directions. Some cities take it to their peak, others take it to the, the halfway. That's been on our in our code since it was written back in the 50s and 60s, uh, and it is an acceptable way in half the cities in the nation, probably. So it's something that the council could determine they want to change. But for right now, the idea is that with the pitch roof, you have more area that you see past. Of course, if you're looking at it this way, you don't see past it. But that's one of the theories of just going halfway up. But that's something that's easily, uh, through an amendment, could be changed if the council so desired. I would point out to that that if the council wanted to change that, that is going to require what's called a ballot measure 56 notice. Okay. That would be required citywide uh, to notify all property owners that the council was wishing to make right. that, or the planning commission if they make the recommendations. Yeah, it's, it's the, through the whole process of notification. So that's not something that we could change right now no. as a part of this no. process. <laughs> and, and, and it's a, it, it's, it's a common standard across the board. Residential houses use that in determination. It, it is common use. It's very, common very used. common everywhere yes. when you have peak roofs to account half of that. So right. And I, I think for residential, it tends to be that there's less usage of the, it doesn't really count the floor, it's just a roof. So you can't use it that way. But anyway, Couple questions, and I'm probably just restating the obvious, but I, I just want to be 
be clear. So there's no lot that could produce a building larger than 30,000 square feet based on the par ratio because 30,000 is the max. Per building. Per building. So the Astoria Warehousing, as an example, could theoretically have two, three buildings or whatever there. With the 60 foot. But they'd have to maintain that 60 foot, yes. Um, and then if, if a plan, if something is um, designated a plan district and it changes hands and sold, is that status go with? It says that it, the application has to be brought in by the property owner. So if it changes hand before the plan district, whoever owns it can come in with a master plan to discuss. If it's the plan district is approved and a new owner comes in, they are tied to whatever those that master plan would say. Okay, if they didn't build per that master plan, then the plan district would be dissolved. Okay, thank you. And, um, and apologies for not being clear on this in the few slides earlier that talked about the plan districts for the port and Astoria warehousing. Their master plan could um, ask for or suggest, for instance, buildings that would exceed the 35 foot height limit or no? No. Okay. The, and that's why I wanted to just add that okay. language that says um, without step backs. So we're saying that they can't go any higher than 35, which is the base zone anyway, but they may be able to reconfigure so that they're not got those step backs, that 10 foot inset and some of right. that. On that, on that particular subject, what happens in the meantime if, say, the people who own Astoria Warehousing want to split off a piece of it and sell it? What uh, what limitations are there then at the person who buys that piece of the whole? Okay, well, right now, the entire site would come under the Bridge Vista overlay. There is no planned district. Until that planned district is adopted, that would still be subject to all of the requirements of the Bridge Vista overlay, no matter who owns it or what size the lot. If the plan district goes into effect and you have a parcel sold off, that new parcel would have to comply with the master plan as proposed and adopted, or they could come in and the master plan and those changes could come back off and they'd be back to the Bridge Vista requirements. Uh, the pedestrian-oriented overlay zone. Yes. Uh, can you explain why there's an exemption for that? How big an area is that? And if you add that to the court property and the Astoria Warehousing property, is there anything left? Okay. The white area on the map is your pedestrian-oriented zone. The intent of the Bridge Vista uh, portion of the Riverfront Vision was to have this more pedestrian oriented and not as much vehicle dependent uh, development. Uh, you have the Uniontown Reborn plan that is coming before you in the near future and that addresses the rest of the development of Uniontown uh, because they want to re-identify re themselves and make a, a development there that is cohesive and so by having that pedestrian zone, it helps with that cohesiveness of that portion of West Marine Drive. 
Now, the reason it's excluded from the, the allowable changes is because of that goal of the vision plan and the Uniontown Reborn to have that cohesive pedestrian area. So if the port comes in with their master plan, what we're saying is you can't change the codes within that uh, pedestrian-oriented area. Those codes would still apply. Now, one of the things you could do, there's only, I think, two three properties that are the ports in there. Uh, right now, the code says that it shall apply. You could add a statement that says, however, the boundaries could be amended if appropriate. So they could maybe change the boundaries of the pedestrian zone. But there was an intent with that pedestrian zone for that entire Uniontown redevelopment concept. So the port has all of the hotel area. They've got the parcels uh, to the east of the, the bridge access. There's privately owned property to the west of the bridge access that could be part of development. They have the entire shoreline area in front of the Cannery Pier Hotel and where the old Schnick room was. So there's still a lot of port area that could be redeveloped. One more question. Mm -hmm. the last one. That's OK. And, and I want to thank you for all the work you've done on this earth You've been in the weeds with this for so long. And so has the Planning Commission. The yeah. Planning Commission did a great job of thinking, how do we solve this massive problem? And I really appreciate the time and effort they put into it. I guess my last question is, have we successfully, with these changes, address the issues that arose in connection with the hotel at the foot of 2nd Street, which left the council sort of helpless to respond to what its community wanted. With the changes that we made in part A of this, we addressed a lot of the issues. Uh, we cleaned up the language and made it clearer as to the design and how that all applies. With this portion, we're looking at height floor area ratio and the mass of the buildings. With, with this height at 35, the last one allowed 45, so this already brings it down a whole floor and brings it down even lower with the step backs above 28 feet. Um, the floor area ratio reduces the size of the buildings also because there it's allowing more open space, which was some of the concerns. So open space with slightly taller building, but not as tall as the Fairfield, which was going to be 45. I did do some quick calculations on the Fairfield, and with the, um, the FAR of 0.75, the maximum they would have been allowed is a 33,000 square foot building. So it was, they probably, with the four stories, uh, they would have had to come down one, and with that floor area ratio, uh, you'd probably ended up with maybe a building similar size, but the orientation and some of the other setbacks were addressed in the other code that we already amended. But size-wise, the height would have been the, the biggest thing this would have taken care of. But it, it still would have been, it maybe would have been a little wider. Cause I, I feel like when I tried to do the calculation, it, did, it didn't impact it. It did not impact it very much on its footprint, but it would have been at least one story less. 
and there would have been some other design issues that have been written into it that would have helped. But at least one story shorter. Let me take a moment here uh, and ask Mayor Jones, do you have some questions? No, I think uh, they've all been answered. Uh, some good questions, and, and I would just reiterate what everyone else has said. Rosemary, thank you so much uh, for your work on this. Thank you. Okay, um, thank you. I just have, at the moment, I just have uh, one question, and it has to do with the view uh, uh, corridors, the 60-foot view corridor. Um, and it was 14.113B2, and um, it talks about an unobstructed view corridor. And it's the unobstructed, and, and what it just brought to mind for me was that, um, is there, does that mean nothing can go in there, or could um, maybe uh, parking, some sort of parking go in there on a sort of parallel parking on the side would allow some parking for the buildings that would it'd be like our city streets out here when you look down this way you have the, a nice view corridor um, but cars are parked on the side and they don't really seem to impact it would that be something we would I'm just wondering if we would be interested in uh, allowing something like that or are we and this is just for consideration of the council too just to think about um, and uh, you know, and maybe say something that uh, you know, no structures shall encroach the view corridor. So you can't build out into it. You can't really do anything. I think there are situations where we have view corridors that there's like a two and a half foot height limit for anything like signs and whatnot in, in those view corridors. Something's slow enough; it's not going to obstruct, but maybe useful for the development. And so I just want to kind of throw that out there for. Right. The view corridor would uh, act similar to the rights of way at the ends of streets because there are very few rights of way. They've been vacated along that waterfront. 60 feet is the normal width of a right of way along that stretch, you know, the waterfront. And so by creating a 60 foot wide view corridor, you're basically putting in that, that right of way area. Now, as uh, Councillor Brownson mentioned, your rights away, you do have cars parking there. So it would be reasonable to expect that view quarters could be through parking lots and have the vehicles there. But what we could add so that it's clear in this is you could add a statement that says no structure shall encroach into the view quarter area. However, parking may be allowed in this area. That way it's very clear for future councils that that's what was intended here. Looking over a car, a car generally is, I mean you have taller ones, but they're generally about five feet you know, tall, unless you get a van, then you're looking at maybe five and a half, something. So that's still gonna give you most of the view. Uh, two and a half feet is the vision clearance area at corners, because when a car is looking and, what, and you're sitting in a car, so you're sitting in the car and you want to look somewhere, your eye level is down at the two and a half to three feet. So that's where, when you're looking at safety, you want just two and a half feet high. And if you're looking at viewing, you're not looking down on the ground necessarily, you're looking up a little bit and can be looking over vehicles. Yeah, I had a 
really just I want to be clear on this. The only reason I'm thinking about this is that it does strip, potentially create some obstacles for additional parking, or employee parking, or whatnot. It seems to me that when you have a corridor like that, there may be some use of loud, like uh, unloading um, a vehicle, you know, things that kind of come and go out of there. Is that? Right, loading would could be in that area. You could have plaza with maybe tables and chairs, but what you wouldn't have is awnings that are going to block your right. view, or balconies, or other structural elements. So plazas, landscaping, parking, that type of thing could be in that area. And, and again, I just want to say that I think it, whatever that is, I, want, I would like it to be clear in the code so that we don't start again. Say, well, can we do this? Can we do that? If we say it's unobstructed, period, that's fine. Um, but if we're going to allow, if we want to allow something, we should state what's um, allowed. So we could easily just add that so parking's my, allowed and structures are not. It's the same way with the floor area ratio. Um, it says that it's the intent was to allow for view quarters on individual lots. Well, as we saw, you know, view quarters aren't necessarily going to be created. So that could be reworded just slightly to say it's intended to reduce the mass of buildings and allow for potential view quarters rather than absolute, but then the view quarters there. Right, because if it was absolute view quarters, that would, then we would have to talk about building orientation on right. the lot, period, that would always have to have a naturally more south for instance, orientation when you when that company or far comes into play right. that it's always leaving a view quarter. And if that's the intention of it, then that's fine, but I didn't see that in the floor area ratio. Right. It's intended as, as proposed. Right. It's intended more to reduce the mass and keep some open area. And so that's where just changing that wording to say potential view quarters and that it isn't just addressing mass. Thank you. So, any other questions? If not, um, I will open. I have opened the public testimony that was our applicant. So, at this time, um, persons in favor of the application would be asked to uh, speak. And uh, you have three minutes, and please state your name and address. Uh, good evening, Mayor Jones and members of the city council. I'm Phil Grillo. Oops, there you go. Uh, I'm a land use attorney with Davis Wright Domain, and I'm here on behalf of Astoria Warehouse. My business address is 1300 Southwest 5th, Portland 97204. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm just going to make three quick points. Um, first, I want to reiterate the thanks to uh, Ms. Johnson and to the uh, Planning Commission. This was, as I'm sure you know, a very deep dive uh, into this issue over a number of hearings and work sessions. Uh, we participated in all of those hearings and in the work session as well. And I think what you have here is a very um, balanced, workable, um, code amendment. Um, we certainly don't agree with everything that's in it. We'd love it to stay just the way it is, but we understand that there are reasons why it is here in front of council, and we think this is a, a reasonable approach to take. 
Um, secondly, I want to just make the point that, as I'm sure you already know, um, partially from um, your site visits, that um, the uh, Astoria Warehouse site is, is really kind of a unique site. It's an opportunity site. It's unique in a number of, for a number of reasons. One, because of the size, as staff pointed out, it's essentially 12 acres, five acres terrestrial, seven acres uh, aquatic. <clears throat> but it's also, as you can see, at least in terms of the uh, uh, terrestrial development, it's, it's quite well built out. Um, so you're really talking about the redevelopment of a site rather than, in essence, a greenfield site. And as you may know, one of the buildings there is uh, taller than um, uh, 28 feet. It's uh, roughly 33, 34 feet in height. Um, uh, last but not least, and probably most important, is we continue to support the um, uh, Astoria Warehouse Plan District concept, um, virtually because the site is unique, but also because I think unlike what we were dealing with uh, in many ways with the hotel, <coughs> which brought a lot of this on, um, what you're talking about with the plan district is your ability to be flexible and not lock into uh, everything in the underlying district. There still would be the 35-foot height limitation, as staff pointed out, but some of the other development standards um, could be uh, amended at your discretion. Uh, and even then, they will then have to come back in to actually propose a development to implement those regulations. So that, I think, is a, is a huge improvement and gives you the discretion and certain clear objective standards so that you know what you're getting. Uh, and I guess last, I just want to point out that I really think that moving to the uh, floor area ratio formula with a reasonable height limit is really the way to go here. So I compliment the city on doing that. And I hear the bell ringing. That's, that's the nicest bell I've heard. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Frank Spence, at 169 Birch Street in Astoria, and Puerto Bastor at Puerto Bastoria Commissioner. Uh, we want to thank the work that the Planning Commission uh, and staff has put into this and identifying the special needs and the special circumstances of both of these tracks. Uh, we do support the port being placed into a special development district, uh, just like the uh, warehouse district. We are, the site is unique uh, with its composition and uh, although we don't have any master plans uh, at this time, uh, the site is different. And uh, if uh, I believe some of you have toured the property, and I have taken pictures standing in front of the red building and looking at what we see, I, what was in my mind about the uh, discussion about the sight lines. And you look right in the back of uh, Motel 6 and the uh, Tsunami Hall, uh, and uh, that, that uh, gives us a, a pause as to what type of development will fit in there, but uh, it is below grade, and with the uh, ramp coming off the bridge, uh, there will be a cause for special uh, circumstances and uh, possible uh, variances. 
But in any case, uh, we appreciate them being exempted from the restrictions. And as was mentioned, 80% uh, uh, of the property uh, within the uh, overlay uh, is owned by the two largest uh, tract owners. So we support the creation of these special districts for the Port Best story. Thank you. Anybody else? Uh, Martin View, uh, 1368 South Main, Morton, Oregon. Uh, I'm the site manager at Astoria Warehousing, and I just wanted to thank you all for taking the time to come and walk through the warehouse property so you can see, plus, where the Northwest Natural Gas property is, which is part of the master plan if you approve that. Um, just wanted to say that area where Astoria Warehousing is has always been an economic hub Astoria and pays quite a bit of property taxes too. So, and like uh, Phil said, the main building there, the bigger one, is about just under 35 feet. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Jim Knight. I live at 42041 Eddy Point Lane, Astoria 97103. I'm speaking uh, as a private citizen in, uh, in endorsing the concept of, the, of a planned district, particularly for the port and Astoria warehousing. The components that have come together in the last few years cries out, I believe, for a very comprehensive master plan with the public involvement. We've had a uh, recent changes in ownership of hotel operators. There's been recent talk of new development along the waterfront. The port was certainly interested in addressing the highest and best uses of its property. I could not think of, of a better project and a better time where we really want more input from our community, more, com more input from the citizens, more input from the property owners that are surrounding this, these, uh, these special districts. So I'm, I'm speaking in support of, please, this is a very good idea. There's never too much talk about the development of properties that will last us for multiple generations to come. We have to get this right. So thank you for your consideration, and I appreciate a few moments of your time. Thank you. Is there anybody else speaking in favor? Seeing none. Um, persons who would speak against the application, um, you know, we've got three minutes, and again, please give your name and address, and speak into the microphone. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. My name is Jan Faber. I live at 3015 Harrison Avenue, Astoria. Um, just a couple of issues. Number one, I, I think that the question that Councilor Rocca asked about how would the uh, adoption of this have affected the, uh, the Fairview issue. And it sounds like it wouldn't have affected it at all, or very little, except for the height. And I think that part of the problem with this was there was a mass, the mass and scale was an, it was an issue um, that the uh, Design Review Committee had uh, denied the application on, and that came to an appeal before the City Council. And um, part, of, part of that, the reason that the, um, their appeal was granted was an interpretation of the code that said that retained, is, retained only applies to 
renovations of existing structures, and since this was going to be a new structure, none of those standards apply. So the first thing I would urge you to do is to go through all the codes that you're, you're adopting and see if the use, of word, the use of the word retain is still there. And make sure that it's very clear that retain doesn't mean just to the, um, the renovation of existing structures, that it applies to brand new structures as well. So that your design review committee and development committees can have some teeth to what they decide. Um, the other thing I'm concerned about is whether this floor, the, the ratio plan really achieves um, what was desired when they were um, considering an overall plan for this. Are we going to get smaller footprint buildings with more view of water and from the river walk, more view of sky? If it doesn't do that, if you're still going to have buildings stretched from one side or the other along the waterfront, um, we really haven't achieved much by adoption of this code. And one further thing, and um, I brought it up at the, the last meeting, and Rosemary did make some changes to it, but it still concerns the exemption. There's this exemption for water-dependent usage, which just gives an automatic 35-foot limit um, for overwater construction. Um, and I don't know why, number two, the exception for recreation exists at all. Uh, Rosemary did clarify it, so it can't just be a passive uh, recreational use. But why would swimming require a 35-foot building? Why would fishing require a 35-foot building? Why would boating require a 35-foot building? As far as I'm concerned, it would be better to eliminate two altogether. Don't, don't give an exemption that um, a developer can come and find a way to get that exemption to apply to them. Thank you for your consideration and your work. Councilor Branson, can I provide the clarity to your own Mr. Faber's testimony? The issue of retain, that actually was addressed by the council and changes were adopted um, in June to address that. Anybody else against? Commercial Street, Astoria, Oregon. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows how much 60 feet is. 60 feet is the size of the length of a semi-truck, and it is the length of a bowling alley. And that's it. So if you want to just have a, like a little slice, that's what we're going to see. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else who would like to speak against? All right, seeing none, um, is, are there any persons here who are impartial who would like to speak? Three minutes, and please hear the name members. Uh, Mike Sensenbach, uh, 110 Kensington. Um, I'm speaking impartially because I would like to see something passed, even though, even if it's not this exactly. Um, I submitted my comments earlier this afternoon, but just a few things that have come up um, over the course of this discussion that I wanted to bring up. Um, so basically, um, an acre is uh, just over 43,000 uh, square feet. So I want to use real world examples because we've only heard on a lot size of 10,000 square feet, on a lot size of 20,000 square feet. Well, if we're dealing with, I believe it was just over seven acres over land for the Astoria Warehousing property. 
If we were to adopt this language that allowed 30,000 square foot per building with a 0.75 FAR, you would be permitting, via this language, about eight 30,000 square foot buildings to be built on the Astoria, on the Astoria warehousing property without a master plan. Um, this, I was also going to point out that the uh, 0.75 FAR with the existing example of the Fairfield does not shrink the building mass at all. In fact, you'd have to go to a 0.5 FAR to, to affect the, the massing of that building by less than 6%. So if you wanted to show a good faith effort to do what the community has been asking for and address the, the, the problems, I think, I think that a 0.5 FAR might be more appropriate and at least show that like, hey, we're, we're listening to you guys because I know that you are and I know that you want to be and um, just in my experience of being here at this meeting compared to the, like, the first planning commission meeting, um, I mean, we're here now, we're, we're discussing a 35 foot height again. Uh, we're discussing multiple 30,000 square foot buildings and I, I just don't, I don't feel like a, a majority of the folks that were at the first planning commission meeting, perhaps, and like as it's gone on, feel like they've been heard. Um, so I would urge you to revisit 30,000 square feet per uh, um, per property, or how or how it how it reads now. I'm not I'm not suggesting you take anything away. Keep 30,000 square feet. That's what it is now. That's what is already in part of the code. We don't need to give away, you know, additional buildings without foreseeing, you know, a master plan. Um, I think that's all the additional information that I had for this evening. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys considering this, moving forward, and you know, giving the direction to uh, planning commission and having everybody take a look at it because obviously this stirred up a lot of controversy. So really appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else care to speak impartially? Seeing none, um, now is an opportunity for a rebuttal from the applicant, which is the city. Mr. <laughs> Mary Johnson, please. Okay, just a couple of things. Um, as we noted, uh, we have already adopted all of the criteria that would have addressed the design of buildings and the orientation of buildings and whether or not that criteria applies to new construction or existing. So all of that, those issues have already been adopted. The 60-foot right of uh, the 60-foot new quarter. To also put that into perspective, as I said earlier, it is a city street building to excuse me building to building looking down 11th Street. That's 60-foot wide. And that's what your normal view quarters are at street ends, are your, are your rights away. Um, there were several issues throughout that um, we had discussed potential code changes, uh, slight word changes. And as the commission um, discusses it tonight, I'll need direction whether or not you want those specific changes to be adopted. So when you go for your motion or going through it, if you can uh, give me that direction. Uh, it can be done tonight and still have a first reading. Um, 
changing the FAR to 0.5 or changing some of those others, again, are things that we could do tonight depending on what the council wants to do. So, Council Brownson, I want to do a time check. It is okay. 9.45. Um, we still have a remainder of a City Council agenda and an Astoria Development Commission meeting still to do tonight. Um, you can, if you were to push on with this agenda item, you can provide direction to staff and keep on going, but I just don't know how much discussion and dialogue the council is going to have. Um, I just wanted just to just do a, a, a chat with the, with the city council. Okay, well, personally, I'm, I'm fine for moving on, but uh, um, the alternative may be that since we're going, well, we don't want to have time on the next short meeting. We, no. We've we, we kind of constrained ourselves. Yes, because we have one so, hour before a, a, a large planning commission. So we could, the, the option would be to continue this hearing or this discussion, this item on the next regular city council meeting. Yes. And, wrap it up there. Um, so with that in mind, like I said, I, I, I could do this either way personally, so if I want to hear from the rest I, of the council. Um, because it's fresh in my mind, I would prefer we finish this item if possible, but I'm wondering if we should uh, postpone the other items on the agenda and we, the department. We need, the, we need those. I, I okay. we need Really Do the department managers have to stay? Um, some could leave, but there a lot of them, including staff in the back, have agenda okay. items. Could could we could we set this aside, take care of the other items, and see if we want to come back to it after we finish the regular items? Would that be a reasonable way to? Your your call. Um, you have folks in the audience for this agenda item as well, so it's your call. I wish we were in the meeting. Sure, but at some point. No purpose to lose There isn't. Uh, Mayor, do you have any uh, Yeah, thoughts? I'd say, I think, as I recall, there's other items that we're going to cover. I don't I don't believe any of them are going to cause controversy. I think we can move through quite quick, quite quickly. Yeah, I, I think I would I would agree with that. And um, so it's still a question if the council feels that we have the uh, bandwidth for the discussion finalizing this at this point, um, we should go ahead and keep going. We've got a lot of people here. Sure. So, okay. Yeah, I'd say move, I'd say move on to the last items and complete them quickly if, if that's possible, and then we'll come back to this and see how long we think we need it. Okay, I, I see some agreement with that idea. So, um, the best way to state this at the moment is uh, so, so we will temporarily right, put right. aside this agenda item and move and take care of the, um, the last, we have three more agenda items. And an Astoria Development Commission, and which will be very, very brief. Which will be very, right, which will be very quick, and uh, we'll, we'll check our breath at that point. And uh, see if we want to finish it up before we move Code 5.370 relating to consumption of alcohol in public. 
so I'd like to open this up to council for discussion. Would you like to bring staff report? Sure. You can. So again, this is very brief. The public hearing and first reading of this ordinance relating to consumption of alcohol in public was held at the August 5th council meeting, and it's recommended that council tonight conduct a second reading and consider adoption of the ordinance amending city code 5.370. Our police chief, uh, Jeff Spaulding, will be able to answer any questions that you had um, prior, prior to holding the second reading. Thank you. Okay, so is there any comments, discussion by the council on this item? I think we covered it very thoroughly at the last meeting. I see heads nodding in the affirmative that we can move on. Mayor Jones? Agreed. All right, well, I would uh, ask for a second reading of the ordinance. An ordinance revising ordinance 5.370 relating to consumption of alcohol in public. Thank you. Um, is there a motion to um, I move that we adopt the ordinance modifying city code 5.370 relating to consumption of alcohol in public. Okay, we have a motion and a second. Uh, we need a roll call. Roll call on this. Um, Director Harrington. Council Harmon. Aye. Council Jones. Aye. Oh, sorry. Council Brownson. Aye. Council West. Aye. Council Rocker. Aye. Aye. Um, motion approved. We go on to item D. Second reading of the document ordinance modifying the city code. 7.200 relating to burglary and robbery alarm regulation. And again, the public hearing first reading was held at the August 5th City Council meeting. Tonight's recommended that Council hold a second reading and consider the adoption of this ordinance, amending, amending City Code Section 7.200. And again, Chief Spaulding can answer any questions. Thank you. Uh, any discussion from Council? Mayor Jones. Uh, no, no, no discussion at all. Okay. Seeing, hearing none, um, I would like to hear a motion. Uh, actually, need the, the reading. Oh, the we, that's right. We need uh, Director Horst, please give a second reading. An ordinance reviding, revising ordinance 7.200 relating to burglary and robbery alarm regulations. So now, uh, I move that we adopt the ordinance modifying city code 7.200 relating to burglary and robbery arm robbery alarm regulation. Are here a second? I'll second it. We need a motion and a second. Um, roll call. Uh, Director Williams. Councilor Rocket? Aye. Councilor West? Aye. Councilor Brownson? Aye. Councilor Herman? Aye. Mayor Jones? Aye. Okay, the motion has been passed. Um, on to uh, item E, which is a trolley trestle repair 2019 authorization to bid. So at the August 20, 2018 council meeting, the council approved an inspection and design contract with OBEC engineers to assist with completion of trestle, river trail, and park pier maintenance work. Uh, the total fee for that contract uh, is $66,632.80. After completion of the inspection work and the design, it became apparent that additional work was needed for a portion of the trestle east of 11th Street 
to ensure it could support non-load non limited vehicular traffic. And this was because of the Waterfront Bridge project, which is ongoing. The City Council authorized a contract amendment as noted in the staff report in February of 2019. So a final uh, set of design plans and a cost estimate were recently provided by OVAC, and the repairs focus on the 6th to 11th Street trestles, including an 11th, the 11th Street stub, the Mill Pond trestle, and minor work uh, on the 6th and 14th Street park piers. Uh, the engineer's estimate for this work is $330,000. Funding is available in the Promote Astoria Fund for the work. So um, I would note that uh, there is uh, reference uh, in to uh, additional needs that are going to be required over upcoming years for the trolley trestles, the park piers, um, and um, the other overwater infrastructure that, that we own uh, for the river trail and, and for the trolley line. Uh, we do have engineering staff here, Sydney uh, Moore, our assistant city engineer, is able to answer your questions as well as Jeff Harrington, our public works director. So tonight it's recommended that council authorize staff to solicit bids for the 2019 trolley trestle repair project. And again, this is, and this is just getting the authorization to solicit those bids and that contract will be coming back to you uh, for review. Okay, thank you. Um, council, discussion? Uh, the only comment I would make, I, I, I support uh, um, authorizing uh, the bid process, uh, is that you know, perhaps uh, looking forward we can think about seeing uh, an increase in the trolley fee from a buck to two bucks. I think that still would be tolerable. With that extra dollar going into a fund towards infrastructure maintenance, which will be facing the so I would note that that was actually suggested by the council a couple of years ago as a possibility. Um, it, um, the Trolley Association um, um, itself considered that, um, and specifically the trolley operators um, had concerns um, with that uh, proposal. Uh, and in the end, what the, the Trolley Association did was voted to uh, provide a specific uh, portion of, uh, of a percentage of their revenue to go to the city. I think last year it was in around six to seven thousand dollars that that we received. Um, I'll tell you that it, it became um, very uh, much of a concern from the trolley operators, the volunteers themselves um, who operate the trolley um, uh, it, it was something that at least the Trolley Association, after hearing the concerns from the volunteers, um, didn't feel as though they could, could support. Mm. I'll just say the weapon try again. Yeah, I would, I would agree with Council Rocca that uh, not, not before we make a decision on this particular measure, but over the next year, it's worth revisiting with, uh, as, as we look at these significant costs. I would agree with that. Okay. Well, do I hear a motion? Yes, I move that we uh, approve the trolley trestle repair 2019 authorization to bid. I will second that. All right. Well, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? 
excited that the business we will come back to the BDO, but for, for right now, I will. You may want to ask uh, Councilor, Councilor if there's any new business on non agenda items for uh, anyone in the audience. Is there, is there any new business uh, on non agenda items? This would be a this would be a moment where the public could make comment on any non-agenda items on three and speak for three minutes again stating their name and address. Are there any in the public that would like to make comment? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing none. So Council Brownson, what we'll need to do is is, is have a recess of the city council meeting and then so, city council meeting is recessed. Um, now I would like to open the uh, Story Development Commission meeting. So, on the agenda, which is not in front of me, here we go. Do we need to? Well, so um, first of all, I want to I want to ask if there are any changes to the agenda. Yeah. So first of all, you need. Uh, well, the court of commissioners. So, so roll call. All commissioners are present. Here we go. I'm going to start at the top of the page here. Um, <laughs> Commissioner Herman. Here. Commissioner Browns. Here. Commissioner West. Here. Commissioner Rocco. Here. Chair Jones. Here. Thank you. Uh, are there any changes to the agenda? No changes. Um, so all agenda items are on the consent calendar. It includes a lease with the Astoria uh, Downtown Historic District Association for their annual group uh, fest, uh, leasing the Astoria Development Commission on land for $1, and also approval of the minutes. And that can be approved with one motion. I move that we approve the consent agenda as presented. So So there's been a motion. Is there a second? I'll second. Uh, there's a second. Uh, roll call. Uh, Director Brooks. Commissioner uh, Herman. Aye. Commissioner Brownson. Aye. Commissioner West. Aye. Commissioner Rocca. Aye. Chair Jones. Aye. Okay. So uh, it is uh, consent calendar is passed. Uh, that's all we have on the agenda. Is there any uh, new business or public comment? Non-agenda for the Astoria Commission. Seeing none, I close this meeting of the Astoria Development Commission and I reopen <laughs> City Council meeting. Um, and if you're fine, um, City Council letting the uh, non-planning department staff um, leave.
Wait, if you want to refer to the maps or something as you're discussing? I, it'd be great to have that map showing the proposed plan districts. I don't know how, what others would like. So at this point, uh, we're back on item B, public hearing, the first reading for the Bridge Vista Overlay Code Amendment. Uh, and we have had a public hearing, and that has been closed, and we are now- Actually, you have not closed the hearing yet, but you were, you were, you were actually in, in uh, your, there was never an official closure, but, the, but the, the council was about to go into some, starting to have some deliberation, so. So I, I would ask at this point in time if the council has any other questions for um, city staff before I close the public hearing. I, I, here. I have just one more question. I, I just wanted to verify something. I think you told me this afternoon, Rosemary, when I called you to ask some questions. Um, assuming a site were large enough to accommodate, a building could be up to 90 feet wide. Is that correct? It would, there are no limitations on the width of a building. It's the Florida area ratio, so that's 75%, which does not need to be east-west. It could be anywhere on the lot. So depending on the size of the lot, yes, a building could be that wide, uh, but would still have to meet that open space, but not necessarily on the size. Okay. Thank you, that's it. I have a quick, so there's not a, a maximum lot size determined uh, in the code currently? Not in this area with the Bridge Vista overlay, um, you don't have a percentage of the lot that can be covered. However, there are landscaping requirements, so that basically does reduce what you can do because you have to have so many percentage of your lot covered with landscaping, so that's going to create open space also. scenario where um, the city of Astoria is the applicant but you also have staff that work for you so uh, so while the public hearing is closed you do have the ability to dialogue uh, with staff and you have the ability to be able to uh, you know provide some uh, information and, and direction so it's, it's a it's a bit of a hybrid and, and different than a permit public hearing. I appreciate that thank you and um, if I may start out, uh, I just would like to uh, make a statement and uh, for your consideration. So this is just about the port of that story. I'm not talking about any other aspect of it. And it's about the planned district idea concept for the port of that story. I strongly support plan district for this Port of Astoria. This is not a speculative idea. This is an 
as the port struggles to deal with serious infrastructure issues and funding that requires every tool available. This is, and this is one, one which is which the Corps has been putting forward over the last year, the idea of, for example, a marine village. They need the opportunity to bring a plan to the city vetted by their own public process, unique to their, loca their location and circumstance. I have found in this proposal restrictions to the plan that are greater, and this is the, the plan for the Corps, restrictions that are greater than those being imposed on the possible Astoria warehouse plan district. Uh, constraining the port in its ability to enhance its West Marine Basin and the basin surrounding properties. I would propose to allow the following. Uh, adding uses beyond, one, one of the things it doesn't have is the ability to add uses. And, and Part of the reason is that it's in a different development code area, so shorelands, and they're more restrictive, it's more restrictive in some ways in overland development. And I would like to be able to them in their plan district be able to add uses beyond that which is in the DBO as we whatever as we pass and the shorelands designation. I'm not quite sure how the shorelands part works in this, but again, my intent here is to give them more flexibility, at least an equivalent flexibility, of the warehouse uh, plan district. Um, also, what I I had thought about the idea of being able for the port to have an exception here of 45 feet. Um, but I'm gonna back off there. I think 35 feet is fine. I think, I think the port seems to be comfortable with that idea. Um, but what I would like to see happen as an opportunity for the port is that it have a, uh, a floor to area ratio of one as an option, up to a one as an option to uh, present to us. It's not that they get it. Again, this is for the, a potential proposal, which will give them, again, a little bit more flexibility in what they can develop there. Um, and then also, the port is impacted more than any other part by the uh, pedestrian-oriented pedestrian area. That it, in fact, would not allow them to expand their planned district in any way different than what DBO, when it comes to properties that, um, if, I don't it's not shown up there, but you would, you would see that the actual port, the port property, I'm gonna point, and I'll speak really loud, the port property get oriented here again. This is port property in here. This part. This is not. And what I would like them to do is to be able to have the ability to offer up in the plant district to move that orientation line to 
their property line, the port property, and so that we're still able to maintain that pedestrian orientation for Uniontown, but clear that little sliver of port property. And that could be even negotiated in exchange for possibly trade a trade-off, because this is an area that's part of it too, that's private property that could also be pedestrian-oriented area. I, I don't know how that would look. All I'm asking for is for when they have a planned district, they have the ability to bump, just bump that line to give them the flexibility they need. Um, and finally, well, I think, let's see. I just want to say, remember, when a plan is brought to the Planning Commission and to the Council, we can negotiate with that plan. We can work with them on that plan. What they present is something that we can offer changes to, to improve it or allow it to meet the expectations that we think the community is looking for in this particular unique circumstance. Um, and finally, planned districts are not easily completed and are costly to pursue. These revisions to the BBO that we implement will still be the easiest path for any new development going around. And basically, so what I'm, again, what I'm saying here is that if the Astoria Warehouse property or the court decide to go down the path of a planned district, this is actually very difficult. It will take time, it will be expensive, it will be a long process with a lot of public input. So there's lots of opportunity to deal with this. And I would like to note too, because this hasn't been brought up, it was mentioned once, but there, there's a, a five-year sunset for both of these planned districts. If they don't come up with something, we get an opportunity to decide again whether we want to continue going down that path. Um, there's also five-year review. So if they started down the path, we can review what they've done and see if that's suitable and whether we want to change our mind down the line. So we really have a lot of opportunity for a lot of public input. Um, I just want to say that I'm concerned that because of the unique situation of the port's in, we should not be more restrictive in a planned district than the Astoria Warehouse. And in fact, we should give them more flexibility to give them an opportunity to present to us something that will help them move towards uh, being a more viable port operation. And when we start uh, tying their hands to at least show us a vision, we don't have to approve it, but we can look at it and we can entertain it. So I feel that those few things inserted into the plan district uh, would be beneficial to the community because the port, being a functional port, is beneficial to the community. And we need to support them, regardless of their history. They're still a very important part of the economic development of this town. Whatever we can do to help them along in a way that we can support, we should do that. 
So I'll, I'll just toss out there that um, if there are some new suggestions being made, some additions, uh, changes to what was proposed by the Planning Commission, uh, I, I can stay up all night, but I, I'm concerned about staff who has to work, be at work right now, at say all morning. So I, I wonder if now would be a good time to see what the council thinks about uh, just continuing uh, the council discussion to the next meeting, the next scheduled meeting, uh, because I, I can see this going on for another hour and a half at least. I know you guys are at uh, after 10 p.m. there in, uh, in Oregon. Well, I, I might also suggest, because I've taken this opportunity to make a sweet, sort of, some, some sweeping opening statement that maybe we should allow for um, council to at least, at least have an opening volume how they feel about um, this going forward. And then maybe, we, and then we get to a discussion point, right? And we decide whether we want to move the discussion until later meeting and continue to go. It is quarter after 10, but I will uh, have to. So, Tom, I'm going to follow up on what you were talking about. Uh, I'm certainly willing to give the court flexibility to come up with the plan that they think works for them. What I'm not willing to do is give up the council's authority to represent its interests and the interests of its citizens. So, in terms of, of loosening things up so the court can bring what they wish to bring, what plan works for them, I think, I think that's good. In short, I think we can recognize good ideas. And we can we can recognize bad ideas that, that aren't going to work for anything. Uh, I, I guess to go ahead and make my my old speech, which I hope doesn't sound too much like a speech. Um, you know, this packet that we got is sort of like the packet that would strike fear in the heart of any council person because of the detail. You know, every time we deal with these zoning issues, I feel like I'm in deep weeds and trying to figure out where we're going through the weeds. And in those weeks, I don't want us to lose sight of what outcome we want. What is the outcome that we want from all of this? So in, in that vein, I'd like to say first, I want to offer a tip of the hat and my congratulations to Warrington Mayor Henry Valenciever. In his State of the City address last week, Valenciever said the city must ensure that projects, development projects, have tangible benefits for residents. I think that's the kind of leadership that we're being called upon to demonstrate. I know that with tourism booming and a, short, a story of showing vibrancy and excitement, a lot of people from elsewhere are seeing opportunity here. But I also have a memory. And I know that 20 years ago, they wouldn't have given us a second look. The difference was imagination and energy from a lot of active citizens and from leaders like Robert Morassi Benoit, and a lot of others who saw the potential of Astoria's riverfront and worked to make it blossom. That's inspired other dreamers, local entrepreneurs who have opened businesses that now employ hundreds of people. This is a city where people want to be, for business or for pleasure, because it's a special place in which to live. That's the key to our success. And it's the reason to take seriously the people who come here and testify 
and pour out their love and care for this place. As we struggle with our development code, I see us trying to hold the door open for development on the riverfront without a real idea of what that might be. We're dealing with the unknown. We're trying to create code that somehow deals with this unknown. What I'd like to see us do is figure out a way to be adaptable, as you're talking about, Tom, when good ideas come along, ideas that have tangible benefits for our residents. But let's be very wary of uses that, uh, that are permitted outright and by which we have been burned in the past. The benefit for our city should be the requirement for any development. That said, I think the maximum floor area ratio, the FAR, is a great idea for dealing with massing. I'm not sure that we shouldn't. You know, I really appreciate our council's advice that with a, with a um, um, request for a, uh, for a conditional use permit, gives us the authority to have judgment and discretion over what happens. What I'd like to see us do is have very strict requirements for what goes on the riverfront. Let's stick with the 28 feet and let's add them to the FAR with the understanding that we are open to good ideas and that someone can make this a conditional thing, that someone can come before us and we may expand in any direction from that for a great idea. And the, the plan districts for the warehouse and the port, I think those are great things and in a way they're better than what we're proposing for the rest of the district because they give us a chance to consider good ideas and, and say yes, great. We can, we can deal with things with enthusiasm instead of resignation, which is what happened with the hotel. So I think, I think we need to make sure that people who have good ideas for development in this town that benefit this community are welcome to come forward and they will receive an enthusiastic hearing from this council. But underlying that, I think we have to have, have strict requirements so that we don't let things get away from us. And Roger, I'd just like to add on to that. What I didn't say at the end there, too, is I, I agree with you. And um, just so you know, I, as an underline, because the Astoria Warehouse District and the Port of Astoria really takes up almost the whole developable area of the grid, this at this point, um, that if the council were interested in uh, FAR 0.5 and 28-foot height limitation, be okay with that because as long as we have the ability for them to come to us with some good ideas with the 36 foot um, for example right? and even for others between them to come uh, to us and say here's, here's a better idea for what I can do with this project yeah I I Roger always gives me I think the strength to try to make some of the points that I've been mulling over for the past couple weeks and um, I think I originally had mixed feelings about the plan districts because again, once you include, the, include those two property owners as well as the pedestrian areas, there's pretty much nothing left. Um, but at the same time, and it, you know, part of me is like, gosh, I hear all this talk about public input in the process, but in my opinion, there's been an incredible amount of public input on this exact topic already. Um, and it, it also makes me nervous to have 
um, those kinds of things come back to the APC and the council, you know, I don't know who's going to be on the council in five years or, but all of that said, again, those are just my fears and hesitations. Um, I would support plan districts for both of those entities. Um, I also want to reiterate Roger's point of looking at the bigger picture and because I'm thinking 28 feet, 35 feet, you know, what's the difference? And when Roger proposed 28 feet, in my opinion, I thought it was brilliant because it seemed to, that limitation did not pencil out for the types of developments that I was hearing that the majority of Astorians didn't want on the Riverwalk. Hotels being the obvious one. And what happened with the Fairfield, uh, as difficult as it may have been, was almost a gift in making us revisit this and look more closely and, and even creating a vision statement, um, which Mayor Jones uh, spearheaded that, which I, I keep trying to come back to the vision statement, our council goals, the bigger picture of what I hear when people talk about why they love Astoria and, and what they want it to look like. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to open up a whole other thing at 10.20 p.m., um, but I do want to say that what I think part of what's at the heart of the issue is less about height and mass, even though I do think that we need those in place, but it's the types of developments. And so when I, I've been talking to everybody possible, I've been talking to people who feel like we should have no height limitations or a far of two or um, no development on the Riverwalk. Business owners, hotel owners, you know, friends, whatever. And some of the, a lot of what I hear is like, I don't care if someone wants to build a 10-story fish processing plant because those are going to be jobs in Astoria and I consider that something that's uh, particular to Astoria's unique character. I don't care if Fort George needs to build a 200-foot grain silo or whatever it is. Those are, Fort George has a proven record of giving back to the community. Um, but what I do hear is that I don't want essentially what our formula business is. And so I would like to look at a, a ban on formula businesses. Um, I had asked about it months ago, not to anybody here and told that it was extremely difficult. Um, but in looking at it more and talking to other people about it, I, I think it is worthwhile. I know that count, the council in the past has, has brought that up and discussed it. So um, again, in wrapping this up, because I've, I've already spoken too long, I want to look at banning formula businesses and possible, I guess it would be a moratorium on um, new building permits in the BBO and the urban core uh, especially, and Brett, you've been doing an amazing job, but in, especially until we get the community development director position filled, I just think that um, I want to feel really good about these types of decisions that we're making, and, and right now I'm just not so sure, because 
little less about height and mass. And again, 28 feet, I think, was a useful tool to try to keep those types of businesses from penciling out. Um, and more about the types of buildings on our river walk and river trail. That was way more than three minutes. I know we're not restricted to that, but. <laughs> Sure. Well, I'll comment just briefly. So, on the on the potential uh, move by council to restrict formal businesses, and we we talked about this, um, I believe during our strategy and vision session, we talked about it, and I, I brought it up with several counselors. It, there is a uh, fairly complex process that goes into attempting to implement restrictions on. Uh, formula businesses, you specify a geographic area, you specify how you define a formula business. It could be, you know, a, a type of restaurant or hotel, depending on what you're targeting, that has more than 25 uh, national uh, outlets or franchises. There, it's something that we would have to do a lot of work with the city attorney on for a long period of time to implement. It's not, it's not something we could add to the current process, but I know that. Uh, that's something we need to talk about at a, at a work session to get a lot more details on what types of decisions we have to make to move forward on that. Yeah, I would love to, to talk about it at a work session. And in my research, it, it takes on average a town of our size about a year to implement something like that, which is a long time and a lot of work, um, which is, a, again, why I, I don't know if this is too extreme, but putting some sort of a moratorium on um, new development permits specifically in the two areas that we're looking to clean up the code, basically. We, we want the city attorney to be able to chime in on that. Right. We, we've talked about those words before. And, and, yeah. state, state law limits your ability to declare a moratorium. You can do it for like uh, infrastructure deficiencies, but if you do, you've got to fix those you're required to fix them in a certain period of time. So you can't just say, I'm going to declare a moratorium because I don't want any building for a while. Right. I mean, in my, yeah, I had some information printed out about that. But again, this is a, it's a bigger topic that I didn't want to derail kind of the APC recommendations. But uh, it's, it is a lot of the feedback that I get um, about this specific issue. Go ahead, Mayor Jones. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess back to the, the specific topic on the agenda um, and, and, and regarding the height restriction portion of this uh, Rosemary's brief tonight. So, the, the current height restriction, 45 feet, was approved by the City Council in 2015. And then last fall and winter, uh, during the hearings for the Fairfield Inn proposal, there were numerous requests from the public. Uh, attendees at our meetings who who asked for a high restriction of 35 feet. At, at the time, to my recollection, there were no requests for reducing heights below 35 feet. People said they wanted 35 feet, but the height, of course, restriction was 45 feet, and that's what dictated the decision the council made in the summer. But as a result of that input in February, I made a proposal of what I believe was a, a fairly significant uh, but, but nonetheless reasonable reduction in the actual apple height of 22%. Uh, 
and that was to go from 45 to 35 feet. And subsequent to that, uh, many have called, and we've heard people call tonight for a 38% reduction from the current 45 feet to 28 feet, a reduction that I think is unnecessarily extreme. And, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how a reduction from 35 feet to 28 feet will help preserve river views, which is what most of the um, people supporting that position have stated their intent is. I stood in a variety of locations on the Riverwalk and along Green Drive and in Uniontown, and I don't see how 28 feet preserves river, river views or river access and 35 feet eliminates it. And I think that the number 28 has, has, uh, has attained some sort of emotional resonance that's not based on any analytic foundation. I believe that the Planning Commission, and I've, I've read their minutes, I've listened to the recorded minutes that were, or the recorded meetings that were posted on KMUN. I really tip my hat to them. I think they worked very diligently and very hard and, and with great um, you know, integrity to try to come up with practical solutions which actually do preserve river use. And I believe the Estuary Planning Commission correctly noted that narrower buildings up to the maximum of three stories with maximum lot coverages and minimum view corridors and the area ratio actually preserve greater river views and access than short black buildings or what would have been allowed under a two-story organization. Um, and they also noted at, in their meeting that buildings up to three stories are actually consistent and reflective of the Uniontown historic area. And I just really you know, commend the work that they did to try to find um, a balanced, reasonable, practical solution that meets the conflicting needs we have to promote bigger economic growth for our community and also respect our historic character and the quality of life that we all want. So I support the recommendations tonight. I also support the land districts because I believe those particular uh, pieces of property that are outlined do have an exceptional potential to do the things that our vision statement says, which is support our quality of life and livability, but also promote a strong local economy. And I'm comfortable with the number of safeguards that uh, that Rosemary outlined. That, you know, this isn't sort of just a, a carte blanche to bring anything and do anything they want. They have to stay within the height limitation and allow the uses. And there's a rigorous public process they have to go through. But even if they brought us a, a master plan with the recommendation, that would have to go through the plan public hearings and city council public hearings. So I support the recommendations that came to council tonight. Thank you. Uh, Councilor Herman. Yes, thanks. Uh, it's hard to know where to begin because I, this is um, an issue that is very near and dear to my heart because I love this waterfront as I know everybody in this room does. Um, I'm looking at the map and one of you in the audience, I forget who, maybe it was you, Frank, mentioned that 80% of the land within Bridge Vista Overlay Zone is owned by either the port or a story warehousing. 
So it's, it's a big chunk. So I'm left wondering, if those become planned districts, why did we, maybe this is too strongly worded, but why did we bother creating the Riverfront Vision Plan section, Bridge Vista Overlay? I don't get that. I don't understand why the restrictions within the Bridge Vista Overlay Zone shouldn't apply to all of the land within that zone. Um, so I have a big concern about the plan districts. It's not something the council has discussed until tonight. Um, and I just feel like it needs a lot more discussion and public input. Um, and until we got our agenda packet a few days ago, I hadn't really heard much about them. Um, I'm also very concerned that the public, a number of, number of members of the public, feel that they have not been listened to by city officials. Um, first, I want to say, I really, before I go any farther, I really appreciate the work that Rosemary has done, that the Planning Commission has done. It's, it's not necessarily the most scintillating work, but it's really important. We have received at least 600 signatures from people in Astoria or near Astoria who requested a 28-foot height limit. The argument against that, from what I read in the Planning Commission packet, reading all of our, our packet and all of the Planning Commission minutes, is that it would create wider buildings that would block views. But why do we, why, I'm just going to put this out there, why do we have to stick with a 30,000 square foot maximum? If we go to 28 feet, why can't we reduce that square footage to 20,000 square feet? And I realize some of you are thinking that's a small building. The new co-op under construction at 2030 Marine, if I'm correct, is 7,500 square feet. It's not a small building, it's not big, but it's not small. So if you, if you increase that footprint to 10,000 square feet times two for two stories, you've got a decent sized building. So for me, as I roll along the river walk on these beautiful summer evenings, um, particularly in the urban core area, the central part of downtown near where I live, <coughs> It's not about the views so much as the scale of the buildings. And yes, Astoria 100 years ago, not even that long ago, had many three-story gigantic cannery buildings. But obviously, we're not that town anymore. And so I don't think that's necessarily a useful comparison in 2019. So height matters, but scale also matters. Even if I can't see the river from Marine Drive, if I go down to the river walk, the buildings do not feel out of scale. And I'm thinking of the Bar Pilots building, um, where Freet and Scoop is, and the office building just east of there, and some of the other buildings in the urban core area. To me, again, even if I can't see the river from Marine Drive, once I get down to the river walk, it just, 
feels the way it should to me. I don't, you know, it may not sound like much of a difference, 28 feet versus 35 feet, but two stories versus three stories is significant. And I get, and again, my understanding in talking with Rosemary is that um, the Planning Commission relied on the consultant, which the city hired, um, to arrive at that 30,000 square foot maximum figure. Um, to me, that's an arbitrary number. We should be restricted. I'm not anti-business. We've gained a great deal from tourism. But um, I'm looking at this lasting for decades, what we're doing hopefully now, in the next year or two. Um, another concern I have about the plan districts, if we were to go that route, um, then it would take a year or so, many more public hearings, asking the public to come out and testify. Um, they will wonder whether we're going to take them seriously. But what happens in the meantime? Which zone, which ordinances, codes apply in those areas before it ends? Uh, a story of warehousing property before those plan districts would be approved if that if we went that route. It'd be the code that you're considering. Today. Oh, okay. All right. That was a concern of mine. Um, so that's where I am. I just. I really feel like we should be listening to all of the people who have come since 2008 to 2009 to talk to the Planning Commission, to talk to the City Council about what they feel is best for Astoria. They may not be the landowners right on the waterfront, but um, I feel like we are caretakers of this place that we are extremely fortunate to live in. They have every right as much to dictate what should happen on the waterfront as the landowners. Okay. So. We have, we have actually quite an array perspectives here. Um, there are some similarities up here, and um, there are some differences as well. Uh, so at, at this point, we can continue to, it's 20 minutes to 11, we can continue to have this discussion, and we can try and come to some consensus about where to go with this, what's what. Uh, this evening, um, we could just have a motion if somebody wants to see if somebody is willing to say Or we could put this off one more as we talk about and, and sort of with all this input and different points of view and kind of take that in and, and come back to finish this discussion at the next council. Um, I think, and Mr. says you could uh, comment on this too, uh, we do have other work ahead of us as well. We have to make sure uh, we keep moving forward strongly. 
So, so I would note on Uniontown, the earliest that that can get to you at this point is October. Okay, so that's not a consideration. So that's good. That's good to hear. So um, I'd be really interested to hear what the rest of the council feels where we should go with this. Well, I would. Let's see where we are. I'll make. I may, I'll make a motion that we hold a first reading of the ordinance uh, proposing amended code for the bridge facility. Do not hear a second. So that dies at this point in time. Okay. So, uh, question for uh, Mr. Estes. Uh, no matter how this proceeds forward, we could end up back to this for another motion. Yes, you could always come back for another for another motion on the same thing. If that's what we right. Want. I just want to make sure it's not totally thought off the table. And I'll ask you a question too because uh, is it appropriate to break this down at all? I, I, I believe I heard at least one and possibly two other councils say they supported the two plan districts. I believe Councilor West said she supported the two plan districts. But if I misheard, please correct me. Right. Well, that's what I heard too. I heard I support plan districts. Roger. Yourself and, and Justin did not say no um, to that to the plan districts. So maybe you want to clarify your position. Might be a little fuzzy on that too. I, I mean, after listening to Joe, I would like a little more time. And I know that that's. I, I want to consider this as a whole package, and if that's possible. So I'm undecided. I would tend to, I would tend to yeah, in that case, I think we need to continue to the next meeting. Yeah, I tend to agree with that, too, because I still, I made some, the plan districts as proposed, I would like, I would like to see some changes for if we're going to go towards, again, as I expressed towards the floor, um, as far as their flexibility. So I'd like to make sure whether that's a viable uh, conversation or not, So. I would have a note for the council that you have closed the public hearing. Yes. And you're now discussing a possible continuance. Uh, I would say that, no, that if you're wanting to hear public testimony at the next meeting, you need to reopen the public hearing now because we cannot reopen the public hearing after it's closed. Well, as far as I'm concerned, we, we've certainly heard public, we, we, I, I personally feel like I would, I would also look to the city attorney to say there are a number, a host of new issues that were raised tonight which have not been a part of the discussion at earlier public hearings. And whether, whether or not by law we need to have the hearing open to dialogue about some of these new concepts that have been brought forward. I think the breadth of this proposal qualifies it as a legislative decision. I don't think that there's... Uh, you, you need to actually worry about ex parte contacts. Um, the value of opening or closing the hearing is just to give the city council a respite to make their decision. So if the councilors wish to go out and make their own investigations, talk to people about this subject, it's not prohibited. If, if they 
wish to can receive public testimony at the next meeting here in this forum, would they need to reopen that tonight or could they reopen the hearing at the, the next meeting? They can take, uh, they can receive evidence anytime they want. Okay. Uh, but I, I think it's advisable if they're planning on taking testimony to let the public know so the public can attend and participate. Which, yeah. which sounds like one. Okay, go ahead, Bruce. Yeah, I, and I could, unfortunately, couldn't, couldn't quite make out everything that Mr. Kingsburg said, but I, I believe that there's been ample opportunity for public comment, ample opportunity tonight, and I, I would not, personally, I'm not proposing that we reopen the public hearing at the next meeting, but rather that we consider the public hearing closed. And what we're doing is simply saying we need the council discussion needs more time, and it's already late tonight, so we're going to continue our discussion at the next meeting without reopening the public hearing. I agree. I, I agree. So I didn't hear a general agreement to public comment over. This is just us having a discussion to work this out after all the information. So, um, hearing that, I... <coughs> so, the, what, what direction... Yeah, so what you just need to have is a, uh, a motion uh, to continue the city council dialogue at your next regular meeting, which is going to be Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, September 3rd, because of the uh, Labor Day holiday. Um, I so moved. Second. Um, all in favor, right? All in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? The motion's carried. Um, with that said, we've already talked, asked for not the public to comment on non agenda items, so I think we can go home now. Um, this session, uh, the session of the city council meeting is closed. <laughs> 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 <laughs>